Talk Live, 855-453. You can give us a call about whatever you want to talk about on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live is truly live seven days a week. As a matter of fact, we're live even on holidays. I hear it's a holiday, Stephanie. I wouldn't know, Apparently by the way, my, it is, my, yeah. my work schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I wouldn't know with how much I pay attention to religion. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's holidays and are sectarian in many ways, too. I don't think all those kids eating chocolate bunnies are thinking about Jesus. No, not at I'm the moment, not. At the, at the least. I mean, you know, certainly there's a lot of folks going to uh, going to church today, and it's, you know, fine day for church. But uh, I went to, to, to Quaker meeting this morning. Of course, Quakers don't generally celebrate holidays, but, uh, you know... Because it's Easter's an important time of year, it's uh, essentially a celebration to some extent of the, uh, what is it, the uh, vernal equinox? Mm, the um, spring equinox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's the, Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon following the vernal equinox. Um, of I'll course, take your word for that. <laughs> now, the, the church has decided that the vernal equinox is on March the 21st. So um, okay. you know, they, they've passed down a dictate yeah. as opposed to you because know, reality. Then, then they have to make sure the Good Friday and the Palm Sunday line up, right? And everything. It has to be, well, they're relatively easy to line up. I guess that people needed the church to tell them when the vernal equinox was, because sometimes it's on the 20th, but um, depending on you know where the... Where the calendar falls with the the planet, and mm-hmm. yeah, isn't it? I was going to say is this is an this is a uh, what's the word? It's determined by the alignment of the planet and the sun. Yeah, it's celestial holiday to some extent too. And uh, Easter, of course, was holiday. It was it's celebrated. determined by nature, not by some authoritarian institution telling you when it is. Easter right? is an amalgamation of pagan holidays celebrating new life and of course the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And you know, you can follow the sort of historical lineage that goes uh, goes down. It's all, you know, very interesting. And, you know, if the Spartans hadn't won at Thermopylae, we probably wouldn't be celebrating it. Um, they, you know, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Let's let's pretend that they didn't win. <laughs> 855-450-3733. Religion is a necessary part of uh, sort of human culture. It's Are you in- kidding? No, it's not necessary. Of course it's not. It, it what's the evidently, um, you know, the evidence, it's self-evident that it's uh, included in every culture. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's included in my personal culture if oh, you I could see. Well, there are lots of cultures that, pers- that I don't know. The culture is something that one can apply personally. Like culture yeah, fair is enough. an amalgamation of uh, fair you know, enough, people. but you know, it's not a factor in my life and a lot of my friends, it's not a factor in their lives. And so the world that I'm a part of, it's not playing a huge role. No, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't need to pay a, play a huge role. And certainly, you know, as societies evolve, they're going to be... Uh, but you just said it's a necessary part of any culture. I, I, I disagree I, with that apparently, statement. Apparently, cultures are things that, uh, that, that mature over time. And religion has is in every one of them, so one could conclude from that, uh, you know, piece. So of does it have evidence. to be a one religion that defines a culture, or does it? Is it like could it be multiple religions? I mean, this is kind of breaking down as we deconstruct it a little bit. Because our- I don't think it needs to, and we don't have one religion um, in the world. But, but there has to be some religion, right? It can't I be an atheistic tend culture. To think. That- <laughs> I, I, it's preposterous. Know, but athe- even atheists go to church. I mean, there are no, they don't. I don't go to church. Not every atheist go to church, but some atheists. They're go not to church. an atheist if they're going to church. Mark. Not true. What? 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 
who, what, what are you talking about when you say atheists go to church? I'm telling you that uh, at the Unitarian Universalist Church where I went, plenty of atheists went there. I'm telling you that I know that there are atheist Quakers. Um, it is not uncommon. I mean, you know, church is a social gathering, among other things. People, some people like the rituals and the singing. Do you like to sing, Stephanie? Uh, not really. <laughs> okay. Well, very good reason not to have gone to church. But remember, every atheist, atheist is not the Stephanie atheist. <laughs> Just in the same way that every religious person is not a Mark religious person. So, I, you know, I, necessary. Words have meaning for a reason. I think there, we can have some standards that define Atheist means you do not believe in God. It mm-hmm. does not mean you do not go to church. That would be a, a churchiest so, yeah, I, I'm telling you, there, if, if somebody I can only assume that people that self-define as atheists are atheists. Right. Like I can only take their word for it mm-hmm. since sure. it's a belief system. And I'm it's not really a belief system, though. It's really it's just a, a, not acknowledging you have the no evidence idea. that there is no God. So therefore, it is a faith based operation. I mean, no, you believe something. No, faith is belief without evidence. OK, I, so. It's not a faith-based operation to say, I don't acknowledge the existence of all these gods that people are saying are true. But you, you cannot... You, do you see the distinction there? I, I see that you can't prove a negative. So you have to, So to believe something that you cannot prove would be some belief in faith, wouldn't it? Am I supposed to prove that there's no like pink dragon dancing on your shoulder right now? I, I mean, don't believe it, but I can't prove it. <laughs> so you think there might be one? You think I, that's likely? I, you, I have no evidence that an imaginary um, lighter than air uh, pink dragon, um, invisible pink dragon is dancing on my shoulder. I have no evidence to the contrary. Um, I mean, or evidence to support it. Agreed. I mean, there's no evidence to support. You can't you can't prove it with the evidence. I shouldn't have even said like a, an invisible pink dragon. I should have said like a flaming unicorn underwater or like a square triangle or something like a, a contradiction in terms because you know that's really what god is is a contradiction in terms? that idea yeah it's supposed to be you know omnipotent all all benevolent omnipresent oh uh, no, no 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 you don't get to define other people's gods that's the way some people, but that's what they say no, at least they? some of them who is they <laughs> Okay, the big the big monotheistic religions. Okay, the monotheistic religions certainly um, you know have their their beliefs in God, but eh, you know I mean everybody's got their own definition of God, and it's in, unprovable that it yeah. Doesn't but exist. when you start breaking down the definitions of things into something that's nebulous and could mean anything, then it's really hard to argue against so, it, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know that. Why does one need to argue against it? That's the point. Why? That I would because make. religion causes so much of the harm in the world. I mean, there's so much. Look at the story that we were going to read, Mark, that we started arguing and didn't get to about these people who are nailing themselves to crosses in the Philippines. I mean, could you argue? It's pretty hard to argue that. That that's like a great thing that's helping the world. I mean, it's preposterous. I wouldn't claim that What about that it the is. sex abuse scandals in the Catholic Church? What about the denial of birth control? What about all these things? The Pope came out last week, by the way, and excoriated uh, priests that were advocating that women be able to be, um, what's it called when you're made, frocked, uh, you know, made priests and uh, doing away with the celibacy thing. Celibacy thing came around in about a thousand years. Yeah, because the celibacy thing is really working. Yeah, the really celibacy well. thing is the biggest disaster <laughs> and the thing that's tearing apart the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's not funny. I shouldn't even laugh because it affects so many people's lives so negatively. Right. The know? celibacy thing, in my opinion, is what has probably caused the sex scandals um, in in the church. You'll find that people who are, uh, you know, religious 
don't want to be gay or don't want to have uh, pedophilic thoughts are driven into the priesthood in order to combat those ideas because, you know, that's the organization that's telling them not to do it. Or maybe they're just driven crazy by the fact that they're supposed to be suppressing the natural things that their brains and bodies are telling them. I don't know that pedophilia is natural. No, no, no. But just like the desire to have sex in general, you know. Uh, right. When uh, you suppress that, it comes out in strange ways, it, it, especially absolutely. when you start repressing it at a very early age. It, it can certainly cause problems when you um, any kind of sexual repression can cause, can cause problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, you get sort of people with twisted ideas about sex. And, you know, that's what happens inside the priesthood. That's my opinion. Oh, I think it goes beyond the priesthood. Mar- like, I think the twisted ideas about sex, the idea that, you know, it's shameful for women to enjoy sex, for instance, or the idea that it's Where shameful that? to be gay. Oh, in every religion? <laughs> well, these religions have nearly passed by. I mean, no, they're very much alive and well. And those ideas are, we are leaking the into the broader culture. Yeah, you absolutely. Think that, you think that a, a, a majority what, of the, women, the original sin, I mean, uh, Eve was the temptress who tempted Adam into the being evil and knowing about being naked and things like that. I mean, television, the most ubiquitous form of brainwashing in existence, certainly doesn't have women as uh, non-sexual creatures that don't enjoy sex. No, but they're still shamed for it. They're still called sluts if they enjoy it or if they have a lot of it. Or if they have it outside of marriage or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I... Well, these ideas get into broader culture. They don't just affect religion anymore. Sexual repression affects everybody. I would agree, but not as much as it affects priests, in my opinion. 603-51... Am I giving the wrong number here? Yeah. 855-450-3733. That's 855-450. If you want to move to the free state... You're looking for some real estate. Well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Porcupine Realtor. Do you want a home with 20 acres, a lakeside cabin, any takers for renters, buyers, and sellers too? Mark Warden is the guy for you. PorcupineRealtor.com. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. The open lines here on the live Easter edition of Free Talk Live. You can call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Tell us uh, your Easter fun stories of hunting eggs. What I really want to ask the listeners is: Is it twice as bad to eat bacon on Easter? Because that's what I just did, and I loved it. It's it, so uh, good. You're ethnically Jewish too. Ethnically? It, well, I mean, I don't consider myself Jewish, but. I guess some people might say that because my mother is. Do you consider yourself ethnically anything? Um, I guess that's that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that much. I mean, I don't know. Your last name I guess certainly I'm isn't Jewish. Conca- Caucasian. I don't know. I okay. Mean, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, generally, <laughs> European descent, mixed European descent. At this point in uh, you know human evolution, they say that uh, that that race is something that one distinguishes for oneself, or that people distinguish about one. You know, it's a perceptual thing as opposed to a uh, as a, re- a reality. And yeah, you know, you've said that you were raised Jewish. That makes me think you're ethnically Jewish. 855-450-3733. Answer is no. You can eat bacon anytime. <laughs> anytime is a good time. Well, I know I can. I just bacon. want to know if it's extra sinful or something because that would be kind of fun. If you're looking for, uh, 
you know, past episodes of Free Talk Live and you want to get them for free, go to archives.freetalklive.com. We've got years and years worth of archives going back there for you for free at archives.freetalklive.com. So we were talking about in the last segment as to whether or not religion is beneficial or detrimental. I, I, your, your, your position is clear, Stephanie. But you have a story <laughs> yeah. about how – you know, like it's, it's interesting. Go ahead. Read the story. You were mouthing the word lesbian to me over the <laughs> – before we came back in the segment just had to share that with the audience (laughs) don't even know the joke to make about that (laughs) anyway so pillow talk there's a lesbian chef there's a reason why you were mouthing that word Uh, from the huffington post um i wasn't just calling names (laughs) mirella salemi (laughs) lesbian chef awarded 1.6 million after boss prayed to cure her sexuality uh it's a big payday for one new York-based lesbian chef who says her boss openly prayed to God to heal her. Mm. The New York Post reports that Marilla Salemi was awarded $1.6 million after battling Edward Glokobar, the former owner of the popular Tex-Mex eatery Mary Hens in Manhattan's Tribeca neighborhood. Glokobar held employee prayer meetings inside Mary Ann's, where Salemi worked for six years. He not only threatened her soul, but he also threatened her livelihood. Derek Smith, a lawyer for Salemi, told The Post he thought praying might cure her of her sexuality, but she is someone who didn't need to be saved. According to reports, Salemi quit the restaurant in 2007. The jury reportedly ordered Glockabar and his restaurants to fork over one... Haha, fork over. Some <laughs> one point... <laughs> tour on a platter, buddy. Yeah. So $1.2 million in punitive damages and additional 400000 in compensatory damages to Salemi. Interestingly, as another periodical on the uh, Edge on the Net points out, the popular Marianne's chain began in 1986 with its first franchise opening on 8th Avenue in New York's Chelsea neighborhood, which was then heating up to become one of the city's most popular gayborhoods. The, re- the restaurant is, has yep, now expanded Chelsea. to uh, six locations, all of what, all of which were once owned by this guy. But I guess he's probably out of business now. So it's interesting. I mean, one would assume from that statement that this guy gets a great deal of his business from the gays. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> but he's praying the gay away praying for other people. <laughs> so, I, like, to me, this leaves me um, in, a, in a position of like, oh, God, I don't even I don't even know where to start on this one. I think that gay people should certainly, you know, running around after gay people and praying for them is bizarre behavior, in my opinion. That's um, yeah. I would consider that harassing. Right. 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 But I think that I think that if. You know, when you're dealing with public property, people should be able to do what they uh, largely what they want if they have to pay for that public property. And when you're talking about private property of an owner or a renter of a of a position, um, you know, a place, a location, I should say, then they should be able to do what they want. In I, I think that a business owner should be able to have all heterosexual people working for him if that's what he wants. Um, I can totally see. I don't like that, but I mean, I, I don't think you can use the government to stop that I don't like a lot happening. of things that people do. Yeah, and, and using the government is not the solution, obviously. You can't bring equality or tolerance at the point of, you know, at force. Right. Is this guy now less, uh, more tolerant of gays because he's been given a, uh, uh, you know, some kind of... Oh, no, I bet I bet he's even more set in his ways. I Absolutely. bet he doesn't like them even more. And, and people know, that uh, feel the, feel similarly to him 
probably feel put upon. I mean, you know, yeah, the, oh, they're, largely the Christian I religion. I guarantee there are people out there saying, oh, we Christians are being persecuted because we Christian, can't pray for our employees. Christianity has suing a, us. a huge sort of historical meme, this conversation going on within the uh, the religion about uh, persecution because it A, they were persecuted 1,800 years ago, and B, they are expected to be persecuted at the end times as per the, you know, the apocalypse of uh, revelations or whatever it's called. And I think I think most groups have something that they believe they've been persecuted for and they use it as a way to create like to foster cohesion among the group. You know, oh, everybody hates us. We better stick together. And it tends to reinforce group group mentality i think yeah i'm sure it uh, it, it keeps those uh, the stragglers in line that yeah. might be thinking uh, in some fashion that isn't homogeneous yeah but um you know at the same i th- obviously you know this is it seems like nutty behavior to me but i think that this guy should be able to have prayer meetings in his place of work i mean i i, I wouldn't to- want to work there for sure i mean you know the thing that really surprised me a lot about the story was that she continued to work there for six years she probably made really good money and that would Maybe. be one of the reasons i mean you would assume that that was the reason i mean these weren't years um, or that, that we're she just about here. couldn't get another job or there must have been 2002 some to 2006 or something like this yeah i mean true. this wasn't when uh, people didn't have very good jobs that's true that's <laughs> and true. one would assume if she's in this you know this high-end restaurant that she's a very good chef and so therefore she's you know needed other place i can only assume the compensation or she was amused um one of the two uh, you know wanted to convert this guy the other direction what Whatever, you know, whatever her reasons were, she chose to stay there. And I think that an employee, sh- their their recourse should be, if you if there's a screwball that you don't like, you should have the right to disassociate with that screwball. That does not include <laughs> getting $1.6 million from the screwball. And that's what that's what bothers me about this. Yeah. And I, it was it was pe- the thing that. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark, because what it says is here in this article was that the jury ordered this guy to pay $1.2 million in punitive damages as if if he has to pay this money, it's going to somehow change his mind and make him be more tolerant towards LGBT people. I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. And essentially, to some extent, this is sort of a uh, this is this guy doing civil disobedience. This is a peaceful protest against what he believes to be evil. Within this woman. I mean, he probably thinks she's got a demon or she's, you know, sinning of the flesh or whatever. Right. And so she chooses to come every single day to this place and she knows what's going to happen. I mean, if your employer has prayed for your lesbianism five weeks running (laughs) and you're still gay, it's the sixth week. You know what's going (laughs) to happen this week. right? (laughs) So, If I were to go to a church, announce myself as gay and they prayed for me five weeks running and then I went the sixth week and I get to sue them for. for No. Yeah. No. Silly. But. You know, this is the this is the now the pendulum swing. This is where one group had some a certain amount of control and now another group grasped that control. It's all about controlling your neighbor. Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. three. I am so excited about Porkfest this year. Porkfest? What's that? It's the Porcupine Freedom Festival, a fun and educational camping event put on every summer by the Free State Project. This year it's going to be happening June 18th to the 24th at Rogers Campground in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Okay, I like camping and I definitely like freedom, but my budget is tight. Tickets are only $30 for the whole week if you get them before May 1st. 
Well, that sounds reasonable, but what goes on there? <laughs> what doesn't go on at Porkfest? There are speakers, family fun, dance parties, karaoke, a comedy roast, hiking, campfires, sports, a wedding, and all kinds of delicious food. But the part that I like best is spending time with other people who love freedom. Hmm, that's sounding pretty good to me. Where can I go to learn more? Check out Porkfest.com and make sure you spell pork like a porcupine. P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. Like what you see? Looks like a blast. Okay, I'm in. See you at Porkfest. While you're there, check out how you can become a VIP, very important porcupine, for a modest donation. See you at Porkfest. Eight fifty-five, four fifty-three. That's the sacred toll-free call-in line here on the live Easter Sunday edition of Free Talk Live with Mark and Stephanie. You can give us a call at eight five five four five zero three seven three three. We've been all over the map tonight. Apparently, on the gay side of the map uh, recently. That's but, awesome. I'd like to be there. The, but you'd like to be on the gay side of the map. Yeah. Yeah. The gay side of the map doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> I like to be in the middle of the map, actually. That's my favorite spot. Stephanie, tell everybody about the Free State Project, if you would. The Free State Project is an organization that's dedicated to getting people who like liberty to move to New Hampshire. Mark and I have both done this, and uh, I have to say I'm very happy with with living here. You know, uh, it's been an interesting ride over the past six years, and I couldn't imagine my life uh, being any happier, you know, if I lived somewhere else. I'm definitely really enjoying it here. There's a lot going on, and uh, you can find out more at freestateproject.org about you know, maybe who is it right for? Who, who can you who who would like to move to New Hampshire? And if you're liberty curious, you should go to Porkfest, which is uh, you can find more info about that. P o r c f e s t dot com. It's a camping festival. Happens every summer. It's definitely the highlight of uh, I'd say the highlight of my summer is Porkfest coming up uh, end of June, and uh, we'd love to have you there. It's mm-hmm. p o r c f e s t dot com. Uh, find out more and like a porcupine, of course. It's like the libertarian version of Burning Man. It's an amazing festival. Yeah, but with money. And actually, there's a thriving Agora there. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can buy all kinds of great food, you know, all kinds of products. Marketplace. And yep. Things. Mm-hmm. 855-450-3733. So we were talking about uh, this situation where this chef in New York City mm-hmm. who is a lesbian and apparently her boss was coming in and praying to Jesus right in front of her about getting rid of her lesbianism. <laughs> oh, dear Jesus, please get rid of this woman's demon that's causing it, her to... It didn't work. He tried for carpeting. six years and... Go to carpeting. Really? <laughs> it's the radio. What do you want me to say? Uh, yeah. I, okay. That's fair enough, Mark. <laughs> How about to love another woman? Fine. I mean, that's that too. But <laughs> you know what? Christians have no, no problem with uh, women loving other women. It's sexual expressions of love that are the problem. Yeah. So I was right. You were wrong. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this this lady um, is. You can imagine how much how awful this must have been, or maybe amusing. I don't know what I would think about if I was uh, you know dealing with a, a, a different situation. I've never been. In a situation, I would never go to a situation like that. I mean, if I was dealing with somebody who was, you know, ostracizing me in this way, pointing out my differences in 
Yeah. Or whatever. We joke around, Mark, but if you were praying for me before the show to pray my buy away or whatever, then I would be really uncomfortable. I don't know if I'd want to work with you anymore. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 it doesn't seem like appropriate behavior to me. And no. I don't really care about your buy thing. <laughs> whatever you got going on is your business, not mine. <laughs> That's a real supportive sounding comment. Well, whatever. I mean, you know, it's that's how I feel. You know, what I well, I don't want to know what other people do in their bedrooms. I mean, you think because it's heterosexual, it's really normal. you don't want to know. Sometimes it's interesting, <laughs> but mostly it's just horrifying. You know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if they deviate from whatever's you know normal, it's either funny or gross. That's how I feel. Uh, where to begin? Yeah. So, okay, what is normal to you, Mark? You know what normal is. Do I? Because I, yeah. I feel pretty normal myself. You know, it's normal for me to be attracted to both men and women. And I assume it's normal for you to be only attracted to women. But, you know, there's a there's a range of what normal is. So right? there's a show on the Liberty Radio Network, uh, which Free Talk Live sort of you know, birthed at, at LRN.FM. And that show is called Prometheus Unchained. It's actually called... Um, Flaming Freedom now? Flaming Freedom. I was on it last night, okay. actually. If you go to FlamingFreedom.com, you Flamingfreedom.com was always the website, but they had previously called themselves Prometheus Unchained. Maybe they've gone with... Which I think they, is a better name. FlamingFreedom.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- there they talk about this normalcy of... Uh, you mean normality or normalcy? I'm not sure. Um, okay. Normalcy is not really a word. I think it was invented by a president who was using bad grammar. Okay. So normality. Okay. The normality of homosexual behavior. And I, you know, like, I think it's all fine and dandy and everything. It doesn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to talk badly about anybody's uh, sexual preferences. That's not my thing. But it's really difficult for me to consider homosexuality to be, to be normal um it's certainly not the average behavior it wouldn't be the median behavior i don't i would argue against that because i think we read an article a couple months ago on this show you and i did mm-hmm. that said 60 percent of women are attracted to other women did you know that i don't remember having read that but uh you know because they're attracted to it it's still not cultural and so yeah most of them act straight probably and there are reasons for that but if if 60 percent of women are attracted to other women I don't think you can argue that that's the minority. You know what I mean? That it's a a complete minority uh, to be bisexual or lesbian. But um, it wouldn't. So normalcy is to some extent, um, and I would say largely based on sort of, you know, what the the nature versus nurture argument that nurture is huge. Nurture is what puts humans, uh, you know, in whatever roles they have and defines those roles and those kind of things, you know, whether or not. And, you know, maybe maybe what you're saying is true. I I didn't I don't remember the article. And that doesn't mean that it isn't true. Certainly, Um, if 60 percent of (laughs) I I don't have time, I'm on the radio Um, (laughs) that 60 percent of the, the female population is attracted to other women. You know, what does how does one define that? Um, you know, I don't get I'd, I'd love to know what is defined by attractive. Do I think some men are are good looking? Yes, that's a good looking man over there. It doesn't mean that I want to have sex with him or something it's, like it's that. It's a sexual feeling or a romantic feeling. It's not just a completely friendship, you know, something that goes beyond friendship. And, you know, if you're going to say that, well, if a woman is attracted to other just women, guy looks but good, she's only ever. Friend. Well, yeah, exactly. So, but if you're going to say um, that a woman is not really gay or bi, if she's never been with another woman, like if she's only attracted to them and has only thought about it, does that mean that a straight person isn't straight until they've been with a, 
opposite sex person no, for the first time. No, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? Yeah. Um, a, clearly a straight, you know, clearly whatever sexuality you are is what's going on in your head, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. I mean, you don't have to be, to be gay, you don't have to have had sex with, a, with, a, with another person. And having sex, or another person of the same sex, and having sex with another person of the same sex doesn't really make you gay. Um, I mean, there's what they call situational homosexuality. Yeah, there are lots of men who identify as straight who are actually probably have had experiences with other men or would like to, you know, but they call themselves straight. Same with women. I mean, are you familiar with the Kinsey scale, Mark? Yes. The Kinsey scale is rated from zero to six. Yep. Um, where they rate Although we'd like to say that Derek J is a seven on the Kinsey scale. <laughs> <That's but funny. laughs> yeah. um, six is totally gay. Zero is totally straight. Yes. And, and most, three is 50-50 by. Yeah. Yeah. Most people tend to be somewhere on, somewhere on the Kinsey scale as opposed to, you know, right at the ends. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the question I would have on this is: are, Do women and men tend to rate differently on the Kinsey scale? Do um, you know? Are women some people more say a, they do? Yeah, it, I don't know. I really, I'm not really sure what the truth is, but definitely people say that female sexuality is like a little bit more malleable, and male tends to be more set. You know, like female can kind of change and shift or whatever. But you know, but I know I, in ancient Greece, I don't know if it's ancient uh, in Greece. Yeah, how much point, of that is cultural and how much of it is natural is something that's up for debate for sure. At one point, it was nor it was considered normal for uh, you know if if you use the gay terms of top and bottom, meaning uh, mm-hmm. pitcher and catcher, and it would would have been considered normal <laughs> for, for the, a young person, a young man, to be a catcher, move to heterosexual behavior, and then move to pitcher throughout his life. That was a that was normal behavior. Yeah, Are you I just mean, still giggling about the pitcher catcher? No, thing? no, I'm just thinking about whether how consensual that was. You know what I mean? Like if you're at 11 years old, if but you are it's cultural, I if mean, you it are does, a I, bottom, who knows? is that consensual? Yeah, I mean, I know it was in their culture, but I have serious doubts about whether an 11 or 12 year old boy could consent to, to sex, you know, of any kind. I, so how I, much I, of I that? Are they just basically playing out something that was done to them that wasn't so great, you know, when they got older or what? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. If but you know, 855-450-3733. I think culture does have an impact on it, though, on repressing people's. Not? Yes. <laughs> 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live. I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. Are you looking for a concealed carry holster? Crossbreed Holsters is the home of the world-famous Super Tuck, the most comfortable concealed carry holster on the market today. Try one out and see how truly discreet and comfortable carrying concealed can be. And find out why we call it the ugliest holster you'll ever love. We are the standard others try to imitate. Get the original. Get your Super Tuck at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Again, that's CrossbreedHolsters.com. Eight fifty-five, four fifty-three. That's the sacred toll-free call-in line here on the, the Easter edition of Free Talk Live. Live with Mark. And Stephanie. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about at 855-450-3733. You can join more than a million people who've trusted LegalZoom.com for their common legal documents. There's a lot of documents out there that 
you know, you think you've got to go to a lawyer for, and they'll charge you five hundred bucks to uh, to get. Uh, this happened to me actually. I wanted to incorporate a business at one point, and uh, the the lawyer wanted five hundred bucks to drop the papers and do everything. LegalZoom.com, much much a tenth of that probably. I don't know. I haven't looked at their rates in a in a while, but I can tell you, I did fill out my will there. It was fast and easy. They asked me some questions. I filled them out, and they spit out a. A will for me, and they can do it for you. It's LegalZoom.com. Use coupon code FTL to save $10 on your order, LegalZoom.com. All right, let's go to Ileana. Ileana in Michigan, do I have that right? Ileana. Ah, great. What's on your mind, Ileana? Well, I'm kind of irritated with how, as a parent, you're supposed to have your own right about if you choose to vaccinate or not. I've got nine kids. Oh, wow. Three of the younger ones, three of the younger ones got convinced for vaccination. Tried that for a little while. One had a horrible reaction. Was rushed by ambulance. Almost died from a from a vaccination. I worked for a research company and had to do research about certain vaccinations. And even though I can't say it exactly what we found, we'll just say it wasn't good information. Mm. And, I'm so know, sorry to hear them. about your child's reaction. Yeah. By the way, that's yeah. terrible. And, it's been, you know, it's it's proven that kids that don't take vaccination have higher IQs. My three that have been vaccinated. Really? Where has it been proven behind. that? Where has that been proven? Yeah, I, I would need to see that study. What's um, I need, I need um, to know. I a little well, I, because it's from a research firm I work at, I can't. All right. Really well, I'll go ahead and Google so it. Go ahead. I know that. But um, and the thing is, is like you're supposed to have your own choice if you do or don't want to vaccinate. And yes. Like, I was just recently was at the emergency room with one of my kids, and they've now kind of conveniently slipped one of uh, pertussis in with tetanus shots. And when I found out it was in there, I, my instant answer was, no, I'll take her somewhere that doesn't have pertussis in it. And when they got realizing that I no longer vaccinate, I actually had a social worker in an emergency room uh, employee decide that they were going to try to call protective services on me it's happened. Wow. So can I can I ask you a question to clarify? You did. You, are you saying that you did want to get get a tetanus vaccine for your child, but not the pertussis vaccine? Yeah, but then okay. have them combined at a lot of emergency rooms. We right. A lot of emergency rooms do work to get the tetanus. You have. When we found out, we called the family doctor and found she come to find she'd had her most uh, recent enough tetanus one. That she didn't have to get one that day, anyways. Uh-huh. It was just barely recent enough. But because of the fact that I, when we thought she would need one, because I was refusing the one that had tetanus, even though I found another emergency room nearby that had it without pertussis, they still wanted to act like I was refusing something that was for my child's own welfare and wanted to call mm. protective services on me when vaccinations aren't even legally required. Wow. And it's one of those where, and it's a catch, and like with uh, public education, schools will try to force you to have your child vaccinated. Yeah, I think that, yeah. They don't even tell parents, there's a waiver form that all the parent has to do is sign it and say, I choose not to vaccinate my child. Instead, parents think, oh, I must get my child vaccinated or they're not allowed to go to school. And most parents don't even know they have the legal right to refuse that. I mean, there's so many things with children that they monitor, like, this whole child protective service. Let me ask you this, Al, before you go on, Ilana, because you've covered a lot of ground here, and I, I want to, mm-hmm. um, you know, ask you this about it. If you were, you know, thinking about it from the standpoint of the school, 
vaccines have some value in that usually they um you know they they usually will vaccinate somebody against whatever the disease is um that they have so if you can imagine that schools believe that vaccines have values by the way my son is not vaccinated so you're you're among friends here i just want to yeah. make sure that we're well, talking about but wait, wait, wait. It, it, the, if the school believes that the vaccines have value, then, you know, it would be easier for a parent to sign a form and fax it back in than it would be to, for a parent to take a kid to a, to a doctor and get um, a vaccine. The, vac- the vaccination waiver form is intended for people who have religious or philosophical um, reasons why they wouldn't get a vaccination. And so a school probably shouldn't tell a parent about these about the form the waiver form unless they uh, exhibit philosophical or religious uh, reasons why they would not want to have it i mean they they probably shouldn't just tell well, parents yeah, at least they should tell parents that they're not forced to okay like, because one i mean there's so many things though that with parenting where they try to put like certain limitations where they don't tell people these are Unnatural laws is basically yeah. what Big Brother yeah. thinks is best. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's true <laughs> I mean, that you'll I'm... often find government bureaucrats just saying, oh, yes, that's the law, without citing the law or anything like that. And that's why yeah. when somebody makes and a claim, by the way, I did look it up, and it looks like uh, it's on Mercola.com that says that unvaccinated children have a level of health that is unsurpassed by normal children. And because they have uh, mm-hmm. not had their immune systems depressed or tampered with vaccines, um, unvaccinated children have higher IQs mm-hmm. and less brain dysfunction than normal children. Yep. But you know, take it Mercola, with a grain of salt. Yeah, it I wouldn't mean, be considered the uh, the mainline AMA. Just because uh, he says it doesn't make it true. Yeah, I need, I need to see either. more. Well, yeah. the big thing is, that, I mean, more that has to do with family disposition. But when you have nine kids in one family, and only the three kids that have been vaccinated have issues from it, and one of which almost died from. For me personally, oh, I'm sure. sure there's plenty of parents out there that haven't had problems. But for the parents that have had problems, I. I think that they should realize that's not a legal thing that that's something they basically need to learn to keep their big brother nose out of. And the dis- because the thing is, it's not a it's not a law saying I have to vaccinate. And the I mean, stu- disturbing so- thing is, is that vaccine uh, the companies that produce vaccinations are uh, you know they're they're shielded from lawsuits. Uh, well, and- that's exactly what I was about to say because the thing with vaccines is like. You would hate to see a child get sick or die, possibly, you know, heaven forbid, because because of some disease that's preventable with a vaccine. I don't want my son to get polio. No, but not just polio. Things that are even more common, like meningitis or other things that babies can really die from. And it's it's completely preventable with these with these vaccines. But the thing is, but where do you live? You know, I mean, if you're around in an area where that's a risk, then, yeah, vaccinate. But. If your children are only around vaccinated, other vaccinated children, who are they catching it from? Mm -hmm. Or if you live in a remote area where they're not around other children, who are they catching it from? Right. And this is you really do point out. Thank you very much for for the call, Elena. You really do uh, point out the, the perverse incentives when it comes to parents getting vaccines, vaccinations for their child. I considered exactly what she's talking about when my son was getting um you know was was at the age for vaccinations we decided you know hey we don't a know what kind of side effects these things have b the companies that produce them have no li- legal liability that can't be a good thing yes. and um c who ever heard of anybody getting polio in New Hampshire? I mean, you know, when was the last case reported case of polio in New Hampshire or uh you know pertussis or or well, whatever. You know, there are some things that like where it's clear um 
you know, Hib is one, Haemophilus influenza B. It's a, it's a disease that can really, really kill or hurt an infant. This is another flu vaccine? You no, no, I... it's it's a bacteria. It's not okay. the flu. It's it, The name influenza is... is okay. It sounds like it, but it's a bacteria, whereas okay. the flu is a virus. But anyway, right. so, I mean, this is something that could really hurt a baby. And it's like, yeah, it's a vaccine that you might want to get. Is but, it relatively rare, though? Um, it's It wasn't that rare, you know, up until the vaccine, like it, when the vaccine came when about. When was that? Uh, in, I believe the 1980s, Just late, a, yeah, late 80s decade. or 90s, something like that. Uh, but, you know, something like polio is pretty much eradicated. Pretty something much. like, uh, you know measles is rarer although you know now that people aren't vaccinating their kids it's getting a little more common these days you know to me it it seems like but the point is there are different diseases and Mm -hmm. you you kind of have to weigh the risk and benefit right because these companies like it or not like you said they don't have the legal liability and they there aren't a lot of competition in the market these vaccines are all patented and so there's only like a few that are out there, they're very regulated, but they have to get approved by the FDA. So it's not as if they're they're competing like pharmaceutical companies are competing on the basis of making like pure vaccines. vaccines that mm-hmm. are better and have fewer side effects and stuff like that and work more effectively. So what you're what you're able to have access to in terms of the technology to prevent diseases is not really up to par, I think, as it would be in a freer market for healthcare. And so, you know, you're stuck with these options that you may not like enough to to give them to your kid the people that are very anti-vaccine and i would not put myself in that camp um but i listen to them um the they tend to say that kids that don't get vaccines have better immune systems and one thing that i've noticed in my son this is just a case study is you know he's been sick one time i mean you know the sniffles once in the past me two times he's four years old most Mm -hmm. kids are sick all the time but he doesn't go to daycare either There's a big confounder. (laughs) Yeah. 855, excuse me, 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Do you have a product or service that you can sell to a national audience? Free Talk Live is a nationally syndicated radio program on more than 100 radio stations coast to coast. We've been named Talkers Magazine's Heavy 100 list. That's the 100 most important radio talk shows in the nation thrice. And five times the best political podcast from podcastawards.com. You can have access to our more than 100 radio stations and our large and loyal podcast audience for less than $1,000 a month. Contact me, Mark, at freetalklive.com. Talk Live, 855-453. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Easter edition of Free Talk Live with Mark. And Stephanie. 855-450-3733. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. We've been all across the board in the last hour and kicking off the uh, second hour. And you can check out freetalklive.com. We have lots of ways to listen to Free Talk Live, whether it's the live streams on the internet at freetalklive.com or, you know, 100 great radio, more than 100 great radio stations, uh, satellite options, which include, of course, XM. We're on the uh, Extreme Talk this evening and free to air satellite. We've got a webcam at cam.freetalklive.com. You can see what's going on in the studio. Hopefully you're not faint of heart. And uh, (laughs) listen lines where you can call in and uh, to a telephone number and and listen to Free Talk Live that way. It's listen.freetalklive.com. 
If you need more Free Talk Live, you can go to news.freetalklive.com and see how to get hooked up with Free Talk Live, whether it's email updates or Twitter or Facebook, whatever's best for you. It's news.freetalklive.com. Stephanie, let's jump right into the calls here. We've got uh, Nick from Illinois. Nick, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hello. Regarding the history of the word normalcy, it was supposedly coined by Warren G. Harding in a campaign speech during the election season of 1920, but according to Wikipedia, so take this for what it's worth, quote, although detractors believe that the word was a neologism as well as a malapropism coined by Harding. What are those things? Hold it. Wait, wait. What What is neologism? What is a malapropism? (laughs) Neologism is a word that you made up, and malapropism means that you're using it wrong. Well, (laughs) snuffleupagus. Coined by Harding as opposed, <laughs> Go right ahead, Nick. as opposed to the more accepted term normality, there was contemporary discussion and evidence found that normalcy had been listed in dictionaries as far back as 1857. I see. Is this well, revisionist history by the Republicans or Democrats, whatever Harding was? You know, it didn't it seem outlandish to me that like some political figure would say a word wrong and then they would say, oh, it, it it really was a word all along. Well, let's put it in the dictionary. We'll pretend it was actually because they couldn't make a mistake. When I was young, this happened with Dan Quayle. He's apparently potato. Pota- right. right. He, he apparently uh, you know, <laughs> corrected a uh, school child who spelled potato ending with an O and added an E on the end <laughs> um, to it. And, you know, frankly, when I look at potato, I can't tell the difference between the one with the E and the one with the O. I don't know what looks right and what doesn't. So I don't think that and, and uh, you know, big deal. So he got it wrong. But the fact that he corrected some kid and, of course, you know, that it, it, it's a fun thing to jump on the press will do that but then somebody comes back and says oh no in the old english version potato was always spelled with an e so they they sort of attempted to you know sort of what is that noise nick what noise i don't know some <laughs> strange noise so yeah, we nobody knows have we decided that uh, normalcy was a word when harding used it or not a word when harding used it Oh, I don't know. I just wanted to bring the other side of the story there. I see. Thanks. I had never heard that before. Uh, uh, Secondly, regarding exactly what counts as normal sexuality, I was taught in my humanities class in college that bisexuality has been pretty much normal for most of human history. And this was in the context of a story about the Battle of Thermopylae, uh, the one depicted in the movie 300, in which a relatively small army of Spartan warriors and other Greek city-state warriors defended the Greek city-states from the invasion of the Persian Empire, led by Xerxes I. The story there, in the opinion of my progressive feminist teacher, was that the real reason that such a small army was able to do as well as they did was because they all kept strongly bonded together through homosexual relationships. I actually can't, uh, Mm. I've never seen any other references to that other than what my teacher told me, so take that for what it's worth. It sounds laughable to me. Um, No, it sounds completely plausible to me. Not to me. Uh, You know what uh, keeps a, a, you know, an army can uh, blow each other all they want. Isn't that the reason why they say that it does not replace training and you know a strong ethic well, no but wait a minute isn't that the, that the reason they say that gays aren't supposed to be in the military because they might get too attached to their fellow comrades and that they would you know they would do Make things choices yeah i guess as so as a result i have I never heard thought. that exp- uh, explanation go ahead the explanation i always heard is that it would scare their comrades who would be all like Ew, that's so icky. I don't want to protect this. But if they're all bisexual, then they can yeah. get yes, it on. We don't. No we don't problem. have that military. <laughs> uh, we have. We have the military where uh, you know, in the United States, where you know, gay isn't exactly normal, and probably people who are a little more testosterone driven are uh, you know drawn to the military. So therefore, 
you know, at in times past. Now, apparently, the, uh, the the polls of the younger soldiers say that they, you know, no big deal. We don't care. But I think that that's just mm-hmm. come about in, um, you know, the generation that saw Three's Company, where Jack Tripper was playing gay and it was okay. Uh, you know, gay became normal for my generation, but the generation previous, I don't think it was yet. And um, for what it's for what it's worth. The Wikipedia article on the Battle of Thermopylae, which I glanced at during the break, doesn't really mention the homosexual aspect at all and says that the real story of the Battle of Thermopylae is that shows the importance of things like training and tactics. I'm with you. Which, yeah, which I think are a the lot reason, more important. <laughs> the reason that the Spartans were able to hold there is a, um, they they are the uh, you know they were the tough guys of Greek uh, Greece at the time, and b shields, man, shields, 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 uh, shields. I was of, thought that asked. I was taught that the Athenians were actually tougher. Oh boy, yeah, I I, I, I disagree entirely that the Athenians were were tougher. I mean, they, they don't have the training. I don't they know. Didn't have the tactics. I don't know what history says. I'm just picturing a bunch of like oily soldiers with, have with you each seen other. I mean, <laughs> no. these guys' bodies are. Uh, I think they're they, they must be computer animated uh, to some extent. I mean, because every one of them is just ripped like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. It's the the the, the, actually, the female pinnacle they... of what a body would look like. It would seem to me. Go ahead. Uh, the story I heard about the making of the movie from a classmate of mine in college in a completely different class was that uh, was that no, their bodies actually did look like that, and they hated the diets they had to be on to maintain that kind of shape. Huh. I can't imagine that anyone would like the diet um, that would cause bodies to look like that because you know having worked in a gym and worked str- uh, worked closely with uh, people who did um, you know the real bodybuilding kind of stuff that last few weeks before a competition is brutal it's just brutal that, but that doesn't make sense like why do we view it as so attractive when somebody is ripped meaning low body fat right when if that's not like how we naturally evolved i don't know it just doesn't make sense do you get what i'm saying there's a lot about what's considered attractive that isn't natural i suppose that's true and a lot of it could be cultural conditioning but i don't know it just it all the action me. figures are ripped you know um so i mean we we yeah. grow up with this this idea of what um, you know men are supposed to look like, and I think find it very interesting. By the way, um, you'll see action figures, and oftentimes they'll have these gigantic hands. You p- p- put the yeah. hand next to the head, and uh, you know my hand is maybe an eighth of the size of my head, but you'll mm-hmm. put this hand next to, and it's the size of their head or bigger. And so maybe that's conveying a message of like strength violence, over intelligence, force, yeah, domination, striking. yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting, but. You know, at the same time, I don't know why, uh, you know, people tend to find, um, you know, ripped and attractive bodies. One example I have heard regarding the connection between uh, culture and what is seen as appealing was uh, the story of how how, uh, a lighter skin color used to be attractive. You know, fair-skinned, pale women were considered attractive, and nowadays... Skin like fine porcelain. And nowadays, the idea is that tan is more attractive... And in both cases, the idea there is that whatever makes you look like you live a life of leisure is uh, mm-hmm. attractive. Mm-hmm. It used to be that if you were fair-skinned, it meant you didn't have to work. You didn't right. have to go out in the sun. Yep. Whereas nowadays, if you have tan skin, it means you get to lay on the beach all day, and that's it's, considered attractive. It's interesting. Clerks in England during uh, the Victorian period would grow their – men would grow their nails long in order to show that they did not work for a living, that they would – you know, that they did they, they, they also had kilts, wigs, and high heels – to make themselves appear taller. So fashion trends have really shifted over time. And it used to be attractive for men to be fat because it meant they could eat well. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've, I've often heard that about, uh, you know, fat, but I don't think fat really qualified as what, uh, you know, some of the morbid obesity that, uh, that strikes in the United States. It is interesting, well, like what that, shapes but... what shapes our ideas of what's attractive, you know, because it it really has changed so much over time. And so you have to think it has something to do with cultural ideas or cultural conditioning. Right, but at, how does how is that like conveyed to people? Is it just what they see when they're young? Or? When you see those Rubens pictures from uh, the Renaissance period, those girls have some junk in the trunk. Free <laughs> Talk Live, 855-450-3733. Technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And if you're looking for some precious metals, we've got them for you at gold.freetalklive.com. Whether you want it as a hedge against inflation, investment, barter currency, we've teamed up with Midas Resources to bring you some great rates on some uh, precious metals and get them to you quick so that you can have them in your hands. It's gold.freetalklive.com. When you buy gold from gold.freetalklive.com, you help Free Talk Live. It's gold.freetalklive.com. Live Easter edition. With I Mark. was hoping you would tell us about the Mises pieces again. <laughs> there my are special uh, silver pieces there with Ludwig von Mises on there. And if you got more than one, then you would have. And because uh, governments require that only their uh, round circular pieces of metal be called coins, you must call them pieces. So therefore, uh, pictures, uh, pieces with uh, pictures of Ludwig von Mises on them are Mises pieces. Awesome. Yep. 855-450-3733. Let's go to Dwight in Atlanta. Dwight, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Uh, yes. This call for Minister Dwight. Hi, Minister Dwight. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was calling to try to uh, make a comment about the neo-Nazis in Florida. There's been so much going on, um, very positive on the Rob Redding show with him announcing the books and what have you. Ah, uh, um, the Rob I, I Redding show. About this. Uh, sorry, uh, Minister Dwight. Let me tell you, tell you real quick. The Rob Redding show uses the same telephone number that we use, and what you're hearing oh, is okay. a rebroadcast of them. So you're going to have to tell me about the National Socialist Party going on in Florida because I don't know anything about it. This is Free Talk Live, by yes, the way. Yes, that's the name of the show. Yeah, well, well, they claim that they're there because they want to protect the uh, white Caucasian citizens of Tampa, Florida. And uh-huh. I just wanted to say I'm a, a, a native of Dade City, Florida, um, transplanted to Atlanta. So I'm sort of concerned because my brother lives, my oldest brother lives in Lakeland, Florida. Just outside of so Tampa? The point being is, uh, uh, say that again loud, sir. It's just outside of Tampa on I-4? Right, uh-huh. And the point being is um, I'm concerned because 
Uh, the city has went through so much turmoil already, and if you uh, are a student of history, um, Hitler's National Socialist Party was the one under which the uh, term fifth columnist activities were coined in Norway and in uh, Finland when they um, uprooted the governments there, you know, planning people that pass out propaganda. I could and, see why uh, you're concerned. Uh, that does sound really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you think that do you think that the uh the, the the neo Nazis could get any kind of foothold in government these days? I mean, this is a pretty vilified group of people these days. Wouldn't you wouldn't you say? I'll I'll make I'll make this comment. They might not legally get a foothold in the government, uh knowingly unless they have covert members there, but but they can nonetheless stir up a lot of um social and political unrest with their propaganda. Do you think yeah. do you think a lot of white people are susceptible to some of the things they say cuz I mean I find what they say abhorrent generally. Yeah, I I I'll say not not the majority but there's always a, a minority element in our society that that listens to desperate people or to demagogues. Yeah. And like I say uh we don't know who those people are but they'll make themselves manifest and all they need is someone like the neo Nazis to uh, identify with and and get associated with to um, cause further dissension. I think there's something to it. I think there there are kind of a lot of people who are maybe I don't know fence sitters or like maybe do hold some bigoted views but are afraid to speak up about them. But if they see some I don't know activists, then maybe that they would. I don't know, be susceptible to them or something. It seems like as the generations progress, this kind of bigotry goes away. Yes. Um, you know, it, it seems to be my case. Yes. Dwight, what do we do about it? Well, um, my, myself being a Christian minister, um, I know for myself, of course, I'm going to point individuals to the Bible and, and Christ and the kingdom, which I believe is the ultimate solution. But I, I think um, people really need to get the teachings of Christ rooted in their mind and in their heart. Because my, myself, when I was growing up, seeing what injustices was done to the African-American community and people of color, I almost um, um, clung to staunch African nationalism. Mm-hmm. But I found mm-hmm. out that Christ's kingdom is going to change people's minds and hearts and ultimately um, have divine, visible intervention. It's it's not just going to be something that we die and go to. I think it's important to to free your mind of prejudices, right? And we can all kind of find those in ourselves. Because we all grow up and... How do you free somebody else's mind? I mean, you know, I think everybody thinks their mind is free of prejudices. Because prejudices are the things that are wrong, right? But even people that do have prejudice, from my point of view, don't believe they have prejudices because they believe they believe something that's correct. Yeah, and they can be subtle, too. Like, biases and prejudices can be really subtle, but if we all kind of think about them and take the time to question our own beliefs and whether they're rational, you know, like whether it's rational to be suspicious of someone, for instance, because they're, they don't look like you. And we can do a lot for that. What, what would you suggest for people? Because oftentimes you won't hear white people say mean, uh, mean or prejudiced things to black people. That usually doesn't happen. But you will hear black people say mean and prejudiced things to black people about white people or white people say mean, prejudiced things to white people about I, black people. I don't people. know if I would agree with that. I, mean, I think it goes all which ways. Yeah, I, I have to agree with him. Um, I, I, I didn't catch his name, but Mark. Um, I believe that a lot of African-American people uh, and other peoples of color 
need to somewhat alter and change their views, not not just for the sake of doing it, but try to find something positive. Because my congregation I go to is uh, mixed mixed race, multicultural, and and a lot of times it has been my Caucasian brothers that have done things for me uh, where I'm in dire needs of, of straits or whatever to get financial assistance or what have you. Mm-hmm. And the point being is if that, gen- that genuine love was not there, they would not do nothing to help me. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they didn't yeah. have to do anything, but because the genuine love is there, they want to do something and they want to help me. Yeah, I think it, it is. I, I think it's truly love that uh, is going to bring us together, and and ways to express that love to other people. Um, I think that we. I it think can that's be really secular too in mutual aid yeah. organizations, and they're just friendships and stuff like that. Love's love. Yeah. Dwight, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. You know, it's it's got to be. I, what must it be like? To see the protests out there on the street when you're in a member of the minor of a minority, right? So you don't have the um, the strength of numbers, and to see people that dislike you simply for the amount of uh, melanin in your skin, um, or who you fall in love with, you know, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of anti-gay sentiment sure. out there these yep. days still. Yep. In this case, this is he's calling in specifically about you know something I guess that's going on in Tampa. I don't I I, I don't know anything about it, but that doesn't mean that uh, you know it's not happening. Yeah. So I you know I can, I can only imagine it's really kind of scary. I I think that the vast majority of people want a world where folks don't make judgments based on color. Yep. It's the question is how do we get from here to there? Mm-hmm. Like there's reality of today, and then there's what we want. Yeah. And there are two different things. So. How do we go bridge the gap? 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 per month. You'll get perks and you'll help us free more minds worldwide. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453. Sickle toll-free call in line, 855-450. Oh, pardon me, 3733. It's a live Easter edition. Apparently, I had a little too much Hassenpfeffer. What's that? Hassenpfeffer is <laughs> rabbit. <laughs> okay. Which is not an appropriate Easter dish, but it's kind of funny. Mm. Yes, <laughs> it was funny. 855-450-3733. You never saw the Looney Tunes where, uh, where Bugs Bunny, they'd refer to him as Hoss and Pfeffer. I must have missed that one. Yeah. yeah. Dish made with rabbit. 855-450-3733. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. Did I say that already or not? I don't think so. Okay, no. great. All right, so you can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the Easter edition of Free Talk Live. But... Special thanks to SACL CAI for sponsoring our phone line. SACL CAI is a company that handles accounts receivable. They can handle it for your business, too. And you can get to their banner by going to freetalklive.com. It's the top one on the right-hand side of the page. They've been a sponsor of Free Talk Live for a very long time. SACL CAI. So you've got a story that I've been trying to get to for more than a week now Mm. about public opinion and the Afghan war. Yeah, it seems like people's support is pretty much dwindling for the Afghanistan war. And in fact, there was another uh, editorial that I saw, too, that 
people, something like 60 percent of Americans are just saying that none of these wars were worth it in the first place. Like none of this Middle Eastern invasion. Yeah. It should have never happened. And I'm surprised it's that like that few people. I'm surprised more people have taken that attitude. But I guess it's a step in the right direction from the uh, New York Times. The headline is support for U.S. and Afghan war dropped sharply. Poll finds. After a series of violent episodes and setbacks, support for the war in Afghanistan has dropped sharply among both Republicans and Democrats, according to the latest poll. And I'm sure they're talking about the uh, the massacre that occurred recently. We covered it on the show and yep. the the kill team incident that was exposed by the Rolling Stone and several other, uh, you know, the the collateral murder videos and. Mm-hmm. There's some rape There's so many and, things. Yeah, it always happens in war. And these things are certainly the, um, you know, the the crimes that go on in the the theater of war. Certainly not the rule, uh, but it doesn't change I the fact think that they are the rule. I mean, because for war to happen, people have to stop viewing each other as human beings. And when you stop viewing somebody else as a human being, then you can commit the most horrible atrocities against them. The I, I don't think that as a matter of course, U.S. soldiers are raping um, in indigenous women. Well, look at the statistics about rape in the military in this country. Agreed, but they don't, don't have that think- much access. Um, that you know, the, the the higher ups are uh, not condoning that kind of behavior. So yeah, but they the could go don't. into anybody's home and raid their home at any time, pretty much. Got, you you have to get the other soldiers on um, how, your side. How hard do you think that's going to be? I believe that the uh in the it's theater of war that uh you know the crimes are the, the 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 not the rule but they're the deviation but it doesn't change the fact that when people of those er- of but that they area, still happen quite frequently yeah, frequently, I mean, frequently enough, enough when to you have really... hundreds of thousands of people uh you know deployed i'm not give me one second here stephanie i am <laughs> okay. not saying it's okay i've got a point and the point is that these things happen enough times that people who are in that region say those darn people from the United States are evil, they hate us, and we hate them as a result, and it creates this animosity, even if it's not the the rule. And I don't think it is. But. Well, sure. And then when that happens, both sides just like dig in their heels even more and have even more trouble empathizing sure. with each other. Sure, who and wants the to war empathize never with the rapists? No, or the nobody does. Nobody I know. Does. It's, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, there's some legitimate complaints that they have, you and, know, you know, many things that happen just sort of, you know, what the, the sort of what are you going to do situations where, um, you know, people would dri- be driving in Iraq. They wouldn't want to stop for a uh, they wouldn't see or stop for some kind of checkpoint for the U.S. military and they just blow them up. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, who atrocious. knows what was going on there? You know, I like the thing that Ron Paul says about like, imagine if you were walking down the street and there were Chinese troops everywhere occupying or whatever other, yeah. co- not just China, but any any other country. And every it day helps. in the news. You heard some story about them doing something bad in your, um, you know, in somewhere yeah. in the occupied territory. Or you're practically guaranteed to have had something bad happen to somebody in your family or your neighborhood or your friends uh, that was perpetrated by one of these troops that was occupying. The people in the Middle East aren't getting the same news the people in the United States are. Uh, with this yeah. most recent yeah, situation with the uh, the sergeant, the staff sergeant uh, from the, the striker brigade there, uh, Supposedly, the, the story is that he went off and killed seventeen people. But at this point, no one knows, and they can't. They're not even invest. They can't even investigate the scene. Who knows what happened? Uh, yeah. in, but in the Middle East, their story 
seems to be the pervasive story seems to be that this was a this was a deployment. This the United States military did this on purpose. Yeah, and then they're trying to cover it up. By and it saying, was a coordinated yep, yeah, effort. Yeah, that there were threats uh, leveled against the the town ahead of time. And there was a helicopter overhead. Twenty yeah, people participated. Two helicopters, yeah. yeah, and so I mean they've got an entirely different story. This looks like what the United States intended to do to them. Yeah. To us, it's like oh, what a tragedy. So. Well, I think it's pretty obvious why... You can't control the news. Yeah, of course not. And I think it's now becoming obvious why people in the Middle East don't view American troops as liberators and they're not welcoming them. You know, there, Did there's anybody think that bad... the people of Afghanistan were going to view the United States as liberators? People did. They actually thought in that. Afghanistan, I remember Iraq. Definitely uh, this... in Iraq, I remember it more. But, but I think there were Afghanistan people hasn't viewed who anybody so as liberators yeah. ever. <laughs> 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 my, my friend went over there and he said that they play this game of polo with like a dead goat's head. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is... Uh, has is that been... true? I don't know what's true. Uh, but, you know, all you can know in life was what you're told. Um, but I mean, you know, some some cultures tend to be more warlike than others. Mm-hmm. In Afghanistan, as I understand it, it has traditionally been a rather warlike culture. Well, I don't so, want to stereotype them as them, like savages or anything like that because I think that, that contributes. But why would you to want the, to be the one they want to fight? The enemy imagery, but I would say the United States is a rather warlike culture. That uh, you know. That, the, yeah, the evidence, the evidence does seem to support that, especially so. with you consider the military actions. But, you know, I, I read this interview with a Taliban leader uh, from from Al Jazeera, actually, and he was c- kind of just talking about what his views on women are and what his views on how society should be are. And it was all coming down from above from the like the Sharia law. Uh-huh. And it was all about following that. And he, he really seemed to have a very strong need for order. And Sharia and law is not actually even and, Muslim. Uh, yeah, I guess not. But I mean, the, we have an uh, the thing Iranian that that, listener, by the way, that hips me to all this stuff. It's great. <laughs> that, is, that is a useful thing to have. But, you know, the thing that that article just revealed to me was that these ideas, the ideas of peace and of egalitarianism and women's rights and all that other stuff, which is supposedly why a lot of people say we're in the you know, the U.S. is in the Middle East. Those can't be brought by force. They have to come from people freeing their minds of all these authoritarian memes of controlling other people, you know. And as soon as the U.S., this Taliban guy was saying that, you know, we're we're going to like just root out these U.S. troops that are planted here and go back to the way that we think it should be. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not they're not making any permanent change because nobody's ideas are changing. You know, and, it's the authoritarianism that's. You can't really force the, the ideas, and adults don't force very well, especially from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, you're right, absolutely. I there was a, this lady running for Congress uh, under the Democrat ticket here in, in New Hampshire, named Custer, and it was the time when they had the, uh, the 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 Afghan lady with the hole in her face where her nose was because oh, yeah. she was tortured or something like that by her husband. Her nose was cut off. Yeah, her nose was cut off. Maybe you know, she looked at a man wrong or something. Who knows? Whatever yeah. the story might be. You know, that that was the reason that she felt that the Afghan war made sense, uh, because they're torturing women over there. As far as I know, lots of people are getting maimed as a result of the Afghan war, you know, I'm sure. And it's not people... stopping them from torturing women and throwing acid in their faces and all this horrible mutilation that goes on, stoning them to death for whatever adultery. Right. Driving and, alone. Ooh, driving without their I don't even know in what the, the car. I don't even know what the, the, the Republicans want to be over there for. The Republicans that still want to be in Afghanistan would want to be over there for. I can't even imagine what their, their well, goals unless, are. Unless it's a pretext for just propping up the military-industrial complex. You know? What does the average person benefit from the military-industrial complex for? Well, yeah. if they're employed by Halliburton or whatever, or KBR. Possible. Or, 
I don't know. But anyway, the, so the, Mark, most, the most that you can do to help people on the ground, the, 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 you know, the average person in Afghanistan, is to have a much more lenient uh, immigration policy in the United States. If those women could move here yes, and start lives for themselves here. If they could access the Internet and get ideas of freedom. Don't give them free stuff because, frankly, that's what uh, allows them to you know, keep their own. You know, they don't have to go to work. And, the government uh, will just take immigrate. it anyway. Yeah. Any aid goes to them, the dictators. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. Here on Free Talk Live, we've been pretty excited about the Bitcoin. It's a decentralized, free market digital currency. You can learn more about it at weusecoins.com. But if you already have some Bitcoins and you'd like to spend them, you can spend them at spendbitcoins.com. When you spend Bitcoins on Amazon via spendbitcoins.com, Free Talk Live gets a cut. Or if you're an Australian trying to figure out how to buy Bitcoins, you can buy them with cash at au.spendbitcoins.com. Once again, that's spendbitcoins.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453. That's the SACL toll-free call in line, 855-450-3733. You can call, talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's what we do here on Free Talk Live, among other things. 855-450-3733. It's the live Easter edition with Mark. And Stephanie. You know, during the break, <laughs> we came we up We learned with, about a new game, didn't we, Mark? Yes, a, a fun new game called... What, what is it called? <laughs> I'm really afraid to pronounce this. Booskashi. Booskashi, because that doesn't sound like sick, <laughs> disgusting internet porn, right? Um, the goal of a player is to grab the carcass of a headless goat or calf and then get it clear of the other players and pitch it across a goal line or into a target circle or vat. Now it's almost similar to football, except it's not a pigskin. It's, it's a played on goat horseback. carcass, right? It's played on horseback. And I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I when when you questioned me as to whether or not uh, Afghani's played, it just the seems game that so outlandish. But it's apparently it's true. I really questioned myself at that moment, and um, <laughs> apparently it's even more outlandish than I thought. It's not polo with a goat's head. It's uh, it's I with mean, a body. They're it, reaching down off the side of the horse. They and don't really say what body. happens to the head. I mean, because they're just the goal of it says the goal of the player is to grab the carcass of a headless goat or calf. And then get it clear of the other players and pitch it across a goal line into a target circle of that. It doesn't make any mention of what they do with the head. Rules introduced by the Afghan Olympic Federation. This is the national sport of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why they're hard to beat, by the way. Uh, you know, the national sport of uh, the United States, watching Jersey Shore. Um, you know, national sport of <laughs> Afghanistan, you know, b- hanging sideways off of a horse, grabbing a goat body. And uh, I mean, these, the, <laughs> this is an extraordinarily dangerous occupation. Uh, it's like football on uh, yak back here. Yak uh, back. Actually, uh, in China they do some, sometimes yakety uh, yak carry it. Uh, Don't play talk them. back. Back of yaks. Yeah. <laughs> the ground has a square layout with each side being four hundred meters long. Each team consists of ten riders. That's twenty guys on horseback all around a uh, the moldering goat body. Only five riders from each team can play in a half. Apparently, excuse me, I got the numbers wrong. <laughs> Pardon me, I am not the authority on Bushkaki, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Bushkashi. Sorry, got it wrong. The uh, travel <laughs> duration of each half is uh, 45 minutes. 
There's only one 15-minute break between the two halves. The game is supervised by a referee, and based on the referee's decision, a writer can be substituted during the game. So there you go. There's uh, some of these the other rules that have been added. And apparently it's it, it's very popular over there, and lots of different folks play yeah. in Muslim It's not just Afghanistan, so very, very, very interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. got some education tonight, didn't I? Well, you know, Mark, this uh, I'm trying to find the statistic. Yeah. So the, we originally started off talking about this poll mm-hmm. and we didn't even get to read about the poll. Do you want to hear no, about it? No polls in Bushkaki. No. But, <laughs> or too many polls, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. Anyway, the survey uh, recently released found that there were uh, more than two thirds of the people polled. Actually, 69 percent. Well, that can be. Okay, it's a David Letterman joke. Go ahead. There you go. So, nearly seventy percent thought that the U.S. should not be at war in Afghanistan. How much? Sixty-nine uh, percent. So, more than two thirds of Americans, yes, think that the United States should be just get the heck out of Afghanistan. Yeah. And interestingly, um, Obama, who's you know certainly got his finger in the wind, one would hope, is decided that this isn't the war for him anymore, and. You know, that now he's saying, yeah, we're going to get out of Afghanistan. Sure, it'll take us nine years or whatever. Well, it has changed in the last four months. They said they took the same poll four months ago. Yeah. And four months ago, it was 53% said that they disapproved of the war. So now, and now it's 69%. Somewhere between the burning of the Korans and the, uh, the situation with this, uh, the, the staff sergeant, and I, I don't even know what to call it. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, since I don't know what happened, I don't know how to describe it. But uh, the situation there with the, uh, the 17 killed villagers, innocent villagers, with most of them children, that's where it all went yeah, wrong. Yeah. And this, this is where, you know, what I want to what trans- about the Don't forget the peeing on bodies, too. That was another... We forgot about that. I don't that. think people were as shocked by that one. I mean, maybe they were over there in, really? in the Middle East, but I don't think people were. I'm not as shocked by it as um, as I am by these other things. The but but what it, I wanna... it all has a similar theme to me, which is not viewing other people as human beings, like looking at them as objects that you can treat however you want. But if it's the enemy, then what difference does it? If once a person's dead, what difference does it make what you do with their body? And if it's the enemy, you killed them, peeing on them, and certainly not the worst thing you did to them that day. Well, that's that's absolutely true, but it just does seem to really crystallize that theme of I don't think anything of this other person. I don't think of them on the equal level with me. They're really not a human being. If you were willing to kill, uh, kill them, that that's probably what you thought. Yeah. Um. So, but what I'm I guess I'd like to transmit here is yeah, this war went wrong. You know what? The next one is going to also. Yeah. Whatever that war might be, whether it's Iran or some war that we don't know about. I like that bumper sticker. I'm already against the next war. I'm already against the next war. Mm-hmm. Because even the ones that you know that, that that make sense go wrong in so many ways. So many innocent people. It's not that I don't think that there's, you know, in this theoretical world that you might be able to fight some battle in some just way. But gosh darn it, it never turns out that way. No. And it seems like they, you know, the, the the people in charge, once the people get behind, you know, going into Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden made a, made a lot of sense to a lot of people. But look what it turned into. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that he didn't get got for 10 years. <laughs> and he didn't get got in the country that he got got in. Yeah. And um, he was being protected by quote-unquote, our allies mm-hmm. um, in supposedly in, in Pakistan. That's the, the best explanation anyone can come up with. And meanwhile, you know, hun- thousands of other 
terror. Who knows how many other terrorists were created? Right, because families were, you know, wedding parties and families were being, you know, killed and injured, and all these things were were happening. People yeah. were growing to dislike the United States. As they grow to dislike the United States, they're willing to pick up guns. I mean, if if you know somebody close to you was killed by U.S. service people for whatever reason. It's likely you'll make the decision that those people are bad and that you want to fight against them. Mm-hmm. That's not what you want to be. That's not how to create a better world, a more peaceful world for the United States citizens. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, what? what's it like? What's it going to be like for me to travel? Because this, I was telling you about my friend. That's how we figured out about this this game. Your Bush, friend from Bushcock. Iran? Uh, no, no. Uh, this was this is just a guy I knew that had gone to Afghanistan, traveled the world. Oh, what I would see. It, he, he managed to travel the world. This was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to Afghanistan. What do you think it would be like to go to Afghanistan here in the teens? They may not like you as much. Might not go over so well. You're an American. I mean, it, uh, Americans already, when they travel around the world, will often try to pose as Canadians because many do. Americans are so universally. There's a sentiment that's really against them. Indeed. Yeah. So I mean, you know, is that creating a better world? It often people I don't talk think about it is, and I don't want to pay for it. Yeah. You know, I, I I try to pay for it as little as possible, but. That's not really something I want to participate in. People talk about minerals in the ground being the reason for these wars, and I wouldn't be able to say I don't know what all the minerals are over in Afghanistan. I wouldn't be able to claim to to know that, but it it doesn't seem like whatever the the, the goal is ever gets met. No, whatever. And it the is goals that, always shift to to justify why we're still there. Sure, not, not we. I hate, I need to break that habit, but why they're still there. You know, and it's just madness if people would really pin it down and stop down to think about it. You know, there were really emotional reasons for going to war at first. Right. It was a lot of it was vengeance. Don't you think for the 9-11 attacks? A lot of it was we have to blame somebody. You know, we have to get get revenge. We have to show them that this can't happen again. Yeah. Let's um, let's go to the calls here. I've got uh, we got David in 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 Montana. Uh, uh, David, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? David, can you hear me? Hello? Hello. Hey, Dave. Hey, yo. What's on your mind? First time I ever got uh, taken so quick, man. It was really quick. (laughs) I wanted to get you in before the top of the hour so that you could uh, tease whatever it is you're talking about. I want to talk about. Oh, all right. I just looked at the time. I thought I was going to go through break and waiting, but. All right. I wanted. I get not much time to talk here. Man. Right. I'm not going to cut you off. I want you to talk about whatever you're going to talk about in the world. All right. I'm, I want to talk about the 14 states that practiced the Tenth Amendment and had an election, and the people overwhelmingly, by 63 percent up to 65 percent, voted uh, to have medical marijuana. Yeah, for the medical marijuana and broke all kinds of voting uh, voting records, like all the voters that showed up, like 70 percent of the voting blocks. Yeah, it's, so, it seems like most Americans want to have uh, medical marijuana, that they believe that it has some medicinal my value. Point is, my point is the GOP. Just hold, hold, hold on before you, we go on there with the point, Dave. Feed you, clothe you, house you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, you know, it's an amazing plant. Yes. <laughs> 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. You can call in, talk about whatever you want. 855-450-FREE.
As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Talk Live, 855-453. It's the Sacred Toll-Free Call-In Line, 855-450-3733. It's the, it's the live Easter edition of Free Talk Live with Mark. And Stephanie. You can give us a call, talk about whatever you want. We've talked a little bit about Easter, but, you know, what's there to say? 855-450-3733. Bitcoin's the world's first potentially anonymous digital cash. With Bitcoins, there are no contracts to sign or terms of service to abide by. Anyone can download the free Bitcoin software and be using them in just a few minutes. With Bitcoins, you can send and receive money anywhere in the world for no fees without needing permission from any bank or government. Learn more. Visit WeUseCoins.org. You you need to go watch that video just because Bitcoins are changing the world. WeUseCoins.org. Mm-hmm. And now, thanks to BitInstant.com, we can have Bitcoins in less than an hour by depositing cash at any major bank. Buy your Bitcoins with cash. Visit BitInstant.com. All right, let's go back to the phones. Dave in Montana, what's on hey, your mind? My point is that uh, the GOP shows that they know nothing about freedom. The very fundament, fun, fundamental uh, foundation of freedom is being able to f- feed yourself, clothe yourself, house yourself, make fuel for yourself, medicate yourself, take care of yourself. And cannabis offers all of them. Not one plant in the whole world does that except cannabis. You know, and and this is you're talking about the the hemp plant itself. I mean, you know, the right, hemp. The hemp whole, well, the whole family. There's, right. there's 52 different varieties of this plant. How many can and, you smoke? And there's 25,000 uses. If a thousand people got a job from each one of the uses. 25 million jobs within three years. If our farmers had that in their hands, the pressure on oil would be relieved. The pressure... Probably put a lot of the pharmaceutical companies out of business too, huh? Say again? I I said it would probably put a lot of people out of business too, right? Like the pharmaceutical companies with the pain medications. They'll still survive. Yeah, probably. They'll they'll still do their, their little thing. But the people will be able to do it themselves too. They'll 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 be uh, money in the hands of the people. That's wealth from the ground. That's all wealth only comes from the ground. And and this planet offers us this one plant that feeds us, clothes us, houses us, makes you, feeds us the most nutritious food known to mankind. Dave, I appreciate it's the call. It's an insult to humanity. It's an insult to freedom and everything this country stands for. That this plant is not in the hands of farmers and the industry that's available in this country. And for the GOP, not to mention one word 
that there's like a civil war going on. The only terrorists I've seen is since 9-11 was federal agents with masks on their face and machine guns pointed at my friend's wife and kids mm. because he was practicing a business that his state gave him permission to do. Really? So they came in and busted him? The feds yeah. did? Yeah. Wow, because, that's terrible. Because so, yeah, be, stupid laws because of selling to other marijuana growers that are legal in another state and it's all over taxes and and selling over state lines and it's the same thing that's going on with the insurance companies right now with the medical care they're arguing about who's going to be making the money selling the insurance over the state lines that's all they're arguing about we got there's an appeal in the uh, in the federal government right now going to the supreme court about the, the very thing about this thing in montana and washington and, and it's going to set precedents about selling stuff over the states borders and stuff and that and your friend was involved with this case freedom there is in america this plant i'm telling you and and it's dave did you say your friend is involved in the supreme court case the one that got raided well yeah i i know about four people that are uh appealing to the federal uh, supreme court you think they'll hear it how are you gonna appeal to a court that sends these damn mass criminals to your house yeah they all work for the same team that's for sure it does make it extraordinarily and, and I, difficult. And I, and I think that the, we are witnessing the death of the GOP when they can't recognize the freedom that this plant gives humanity. You know, yeah, but Democrats wonder, don't recognize it either. I mean, Obama's been authorizing these well, raids. The Democrats and Democrats we know have been sold out long ago, man. They go wherever the money goes. They're the greediest. The Republicans don't do that? The, I think they all do that. Are. Yeah, the Republicans too, but they, at, at least they say the Constitution and the Tenth Amendment and, mm. and we yeah, just lip service. <laughs> yeah, they both stink. They're all a bunch of lying bastards. <laughs> Thank you, David. I appreciate the call. He's right. He is, he's absolutely right. 855 <laughs> You know, and, and one wonders why this crop called hemp isn't legal. I mean, it's because it looks like marijuana. It, you can't smoke a, it and There get was high. a history, wasn't there, of like paper companies that didn't want it to be legal, like all these interests. Dow sure. was making cotton and they didn't want it legal because it was competition. Right. Who, who wants competition? And these powerful companies, powerful lobbyists. Uh, they have never know. hesitated to use the state to regulate their competitors out of business. I Absolutely mean, it's a big not. theme in history. Absolutely not. And it, and it really is difficult to pinpoint which party is more at fault here um i mean you know, i don't even people... know if that's a useful question because they're really both i mean it's the system it's not the par- particular parties it's the whole authoritarian system it really is because the system truly does feed on ways to exercise power and the drug war is a great way to exercise power mm-hmm. so you know absolutely you know, once it's become illegal, you've got a bunch of people employed to get rid of it. And now that people are deciding, you know, maybe this isn't such a great idea having this war on Americans, a war on our citizens, a war on people and, you know, being able to get medicine and being able to. You know, a lot of people are of saying that, but unfortunately, it really hasn't translated to policy yet. And that's why the U.S. Because has there's a lot of government so bureaucrats that lose their jobs. Yeah. Oh, we can lose our jobs well look at the incarceration i mean look at the rates of incarceration per capita the u.s incarcerates more percent more of its population than anywhere else in the world yeah far more far more 25 to 1 or something like that and 
you know, I, where's why has the drug war stopped yet? You want the drug war? You, you want? Yeah, if it was so menace. effective, it would have eradicated drugs. You know, it's been going on for forty years with yep. really no effect at, at all. This it only helps to end this madness. Criminals and government bureaucrats. It doesn't help the individual. If you want drug usage to diminish, take a look at places like Amsterdam and Portugal where drug usage among young people has dropped. Drug usage in general has dropped. And this is through you know, decriminalization programs where they're not going after especially end users and where they let uh, you know, certain small amounts of drugs be legal for recreational purposes. Whatever. I think there's something to be said for addressing this sort of like demand side of that equation, too, because I think there are lots of people who not everybody, but there's a good case to be had that a lot of people who use drugs are sort of like medicating themselves, you know, from trauma that they've experienced or whatever. Do you think it's uh, sort of H, uh, what is it? Um, PTSD? Is that what we're talking about? Or Yeah, in some cases, but in some cases, like just, you know, bad experiences, like they've had a horrible childhood or whatever, hmm. you know. Well, Anything I, could happen. I, you know, I don't know that everybody. I, I, how many people have good childhoods? Is what my question would well, be. Well, yeah, a, a uh, child is a is a creature of you know, it's, it's a weak creature and, and you know, sort of dependent upon its parents. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wants all the attention it can get. Uh, you know, people say things about sort of the middle child, and you know, that's a traumatic experience. Being second of three, I mean, you know, if, if being second of three is traumatic, then you know, what do you do as a parent in order to not create these these situations? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Being a parent right now and dealing with a, a child who's in the most formative years between uh, zero and five, you know, you wonder all the time, what am I doing here that's going to create some kind of situation in the future? Mm. Uh, and who knows? Who knows? I, I wasn't really talking about like birth order. I'm talking about kids who were like horribly beaten or it like happens. raped or whatever when I they're children. I wonder what percentage children. of drug us- users are that, though. Maybe more than you think. I don't know. Maybe. Um, not everyone, for sure. I'm not saying everybody not even, who I uses think drugs it was a is majority person. Yeah. Eight five. I think that humans like to alter their states of consciousness. Generally, that's a generalization. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. Free talk live. Eight five five four five zero free. Available now. Four new songs from Raja Mojo. Raja Mojo. That's R-A-J-A-M-O-J-O. Raja Mojo. iTunes, Napster, and at a discount at cdbaby.com. Talk Live, 855-453. That's the SACL toll-free call in line, 855-450-3733. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. 
It's the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. Mark with you? Yeah, it's Stephanie. You know, I just, I've been calling it the Easter edition, but we're not talking about Easter, so why am I calling it the Easter edition? Because you're a cute little bunny. I am a cute little bunny. <laughs> hey, I've got an interesting thing here that it makes me want to uh, you know, talk about. I, I, this probably only interests me. And uh, the nerds in the crowd that play Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, oh, it's a it's a meme. I bet there are lots of them. <laughs> there are lots of them, and it's it's you know one of these internet memes, and it's great. This Easter, remember, Jesus was not a zombie. Jesus wasn't just because he was undead doesn't make him a zombie. Mm-hmm. He was not mindless, nor did he consume anyone. So obviously, not a zombie. Nor was he a ghoul or a white. Although his soul and, and intellect were intact, he was he was not a rotting corpse, and that's what one would have to be to, in order to be a ghoul. And I'm not sure about whites. I'm not a, you know, it's spelled W-I-G-H-T. Not a real expert in that area. Okay. He was not a vampire, although he transubstantiated blood into wine, or wine into blood, excuse me. He never drank it from a person, so therefore, not a vampire. Jesus was not a ghost or a wraith, because he was corpial and still had his wounds. It's clear that Jesus was a lick. Have you ever heard this term? No. It's L-I-C-H. And I think you pretty much have to have played Dungeons and Dragons. You mean a lich? lich? Is it lich? Excuse me. I, I always thought it was lick. And, and this, this is the thing. How would one know? I mean, who, who defines these things? I don't know. Let's call it lich then. Okay. Um, a lich is created when a powerful magician or king striving for eternal life uses spells or rituals to bind his soul to his animated corpse and thereby, thereby, thereby achieves immortality. Liches were depicted as being clearly cadaverous, their bodies still bearing the, their wounds and they, the, they had received before death, and liches often have the power of necromancy, which allow them to bring the dead back to life. So there you've got it. Mm. I mean, it almost, it, 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 it just fits everything. I saw a cute graphic today with a picture of Jesus that said something like, dude, I got so drunk, and then three days later, I woke up in a cave with this wicked hangover. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> These other stories. Uh, you know, it, it's all very interesting. Uh, I, I, the Bible reaches the level of hearsay um, sort of as a definition, to, you know, today. Uh, but you really do wonder people like Peter, clearly involved in the early church. If this guy didn't see what he saw, it makes you wonder how it is that, you know, he would go about doing what he did. I mean, the guy got crucified upside down for whatever it was that he believed. And so whatever it is that he saw or experienced must have been really powerful to him is what I tend to take from that. You know, a lot of people died horrible deaths in those days, you know, but just some of them got written down. Are we talking about Jesus or or Peter? Well, uh, both. I mean, you know, when you're talking about things like crucifixion. Burning well, at the stake, all those things, those happen pretty frequently. But a lot of these early Christian um, leaders, these uh, the church fathers initially, mm-hmm. would have been able to get out of whatever punishment they were going to deal with by simply saying, oh, yeah, I was just kidding. I'm in it for the money or whatever. You know, the girls, they're awesome. You know, whatever it is that uh, they're, you know, the claim would be, then the, the you know, there's accounts where absolutely these people could have gotten out they, the the leaders wanted to let them go but they wouldn't deny what 
it was that they believed. Mm -hmm. So it really, I mean, in order to die for what you believe in, you must thoroughly believe it. I'm not saying yeah, that look makes at those Tibetan monks. I mean, there's all kinds of people dying for, uh, you know, the Davidians in Texas are probably a pretty good example. The ones uh, who drank the Kool Aid. What, the, the, what was that cult Jim called? Jim Jones. Yeah, uh, I don't. I remember what their you know name name of their mm -hmm. uh, uh, the group was, but it's very interesting. I mean, it's very interesting. So anyway, I wanted to mention that fun little meme, meme that I saw. There you go. I think I've, you know, I consider myself a nerd, but I don't think I'm the right kind of nerd to completely to oh, get that one. I'm yeah. more of like a science nerd. I, I don't know. Everybody's not, not a D&D nerd. D &D nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so the article I did want to read is, uh, it's here, it's about the trending, the downward trend in news listenership, especially in sort of the traditional media. Mm. CNN bore the brunt of the downward trend. This is from uh, MediaBistro.com. Bore the brunt of the downward trends in the news network's uh, experience this month. Uh, this was for March. And uh, for much of the first quarter. When compared to the busy first few months of 2011, for the first month of March, CNN was down 50% in total viewers and down 60% wow. in um, adults 25 to 54. Oh, that doesn't sound like noise. That sounds like a significant trend. It's huge. Yeah. And interestingly, um, some of Free Talk Live's downloads from uh, the the podcast, it's they're down too. They're not down these theory. numbers. But, hmm. Do you think this might have something to do with the fact that people aren't following like the primaries anymore? Well, I think hotly. people are sick to death of the primaries. Oh, yeah. You couldn't get me to watch a debate to save my life. I, well, okay. To you couldn't get me to I'm watch a, one before, <laughs> but you know, understood. But I, yeah, this is why I I stay away from that stuff because I know it's like this. It's this emotional roller coaster. Like people get really excited about it, and then they're like, "Oh, I hate it." You know, and mm -hmm. it's like cause source of stress in their lives, and I don't know. At this point, I think that a lot of people have come to the conclusion that it's uh, it's going to be Mitt Romney. So what's the point in watching? Mm -hmm. You know. If, if I bet a, that explains a lot of it, because like it or not, a lot of people do follow politics and they're kind of like political junkies, I guess. I think things will pick up during the uh, the convention in Tampa. People will start paying attention again um, in order to see what uh, happens, especially if something exciting happens uh, at, at the convention. But it, it, it looks like Romney at this point. Um, you know, he's just won you know, a bunch of races and that kind of thing. And Santorum's, you know, sputtering out uh, Gingrich's. <laughs> really? He Santorum is the, sputtering uh, out. <laughs> Gingrich is uh, one of the, you know, I mean, he, he's been just the walking dead. And, mm -hmm. and Ron Paul's campaign's always been about delegates, not, uh, you know, the popular vote. So it should be interesting to see what happens. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say where it's going to go. I think it's just very interesting that these uh, traditional media companies are seeing they've been seeing sort of a downward trend and now they're seeing a drop off the cliff as mm. far as uh, viewership and listenership and in different areas mm -hmm. um, i wouldn't call free talk live traditional media but i do think that people come here for yeah, maybe what they call some level of news or commentary on the news and, mm -hmm. it uh, is kind of a current event show with ideas thrown in there sure i'd be interested to see what uh, the numbers for the daily show are like um recently yeah. because you know, Free Talk Live lives in the world somewhere between commentary and uh, lampooning, uh, the, you know, sort of uh, the news and the issues and, and things like that. I mean, the the news themselves, if read properly, lampoons itself. And, yeah. And well, that's what, that's what I wonder if people are just realizing, oh, this is crap. You know, they're not really reporting on the things that are relevant to my life. They're not really doing their job as far as questioning the politicians and holding them accountable for things and 
I was, I'm not going to watch it anymore. I was talking to some friends about uh, the voting in the, uh, the, the the general election coming up, and they were very into who they were going to vote for, and it doesn't matter who it was, because it doesn't matter who you vote for in the general yeah. election. <laughs> because think about this for a second. Whatever state you're in, there's probably only one or two or three states that are actually key states anyway. So, you know, you can take the other 47 states, throw them in the garbage. Um, <laughs> and your vote... It's likely that state's going to win by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Whoever wins that state is going to win by that margin. So therefore, your one vote or your two votes in your family or three or four votes in your family or whatever, or even if you could influence a hundred people, it still doesn't matter because... That's, it wouldn't change the outcome. Nope. <laughs> and the outcome's the outcome. So why worry about it? 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Shop.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, get a great deal, and a portion of your purchase goes to benefit Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon via shop.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453. It's the Sacral Toll-Free Call-In Line. The live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live with Mark. And Stephanie. 855-450-3733. Are you looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear? ManVentureOutpost.com has everything the outdoors enthusiast or the survivalist needs. Name brands at the best. And this is their unique selling proposition. The best prices. Before you buy anything in the area of uh, outdoorsy stuff, you need to go to manventureoutpost.com and check out their uh, their prices and their selection. Selection's incredible. I mean, you can't go through everything. But they've got knives, ammunition. Ammunition. Everybody wants ammunition these days. Scopes, binoculars, laser sights, tactical flashlights, fish finders, boating equipment. They got them at the best rates, and they'll ship them right to you fast and quick. They're family-owned, fast and quick. Members of good standing of the uh, Better Business Bureau. And some prices so low they can't be mentioned on the air. Get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. Get it quick. Get it from manventureoutpost.com. That's manventureoutpost.com. Coupon code FTL. Let's go to Victor, calling in from Tampa. Victor, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Well, I uh, live in a world, twilight world of deviant sex, uh, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm a professional stenographer, stand-up comedian. In fact, I even do my so, own. So hold on, uh, internet. how am I supposed to believe you if you're a comedian? Go ahead. <laughs> well, I have my own. Uh, I'm the co-host actually on internet. TV and radio show called ScreamingSam.com. Screen go on. and Sam? Screamin'. ScreamingSam.com. Screamin' Sam, uh, we, okay. All, we have exclusive rights to Sam Kennison's material. In fact, his brother, Bill Kennison's on our show also. Interesting. But also, if you go to YouTube under Wild Man Vince, you'll see me interviewing some of the top porn stars on planet Earth in okay. Miami Beach and Tampa, around the world. So uh, why, do people, why do people want to hear porn stars talk? Well, they have actually some very interesting uh, 
I guess you'd say, points of view that you would never hear from your general population of so-called normal people. Yeah, okay. I believe that. Yeah. Marilyn Manson on acid or something. It's really uh, retro introspective, I guess you'd say. But um, I, I see it all, man. And uh, what I wanted to say is some of the most deviant, hardcore S&M conventions I cover live, like fetish comps, you'll see the most twisted freaks there are usually the most right-wing Republican types, like bankers, insurance executives, mm. that will fly in from around the world in other cities and will literally be being pulled by the next chain being kicked into jimmies by a girl dressed as a uh. ballerina all night or have literally like a thousand, ten thousand dollars carriage being pulled by pony girls, they call them. Yeah. I've seen like legless midgets getting hockey pucks across the entrance floor with demon angel dressed freaks all night raves. Uh, you name it, I've seen it. But the most deviant of all of them tend to be on the right are the same people that, you know, want legalized marijuana, will be the first to shut down the local bookstore that's involved mm. with or, or video. Mm. I just hypocrisy basically. So what do you, you think know. what do you think, Victor, about like what motivates them? Do you think that they wanna enjoy these things? If only for themselves and they want to keep other people from doing it? Or do you think it's like they really believe that these things are are bad, bad or guilty, do? but they're still going to do it anyway? What do you think is, is motivating it? Well, part of it, I think they're just greedy, selfish SOBs. But the other part is, I think that they live such an uptight, repressed life that in the straight world, it somehow warps their mind and they turn inward instead of outward. They're so repressed into self-abuse, um, really. A lot of it is it's not even sexual. I mean, when you get into some of the really freaky stuff, to me, it's mental hospital stuff. There's nothing even sexual about it. I'm friends with a professional dominatrix out of New York City, and she lives in Florida now, and some of the stories she's told me is, is she catered to the Wall Street crowd. I mean, beyond weird. I mean, it's not even sexual. It's just... I can't even say it on TV half the stuff. I'm sure. You know, I I wonder to myself whether people, uh, you know, people in power, you know, live their their lives in power. So therefore, they want to feel disempowered in the in in a sexual arena that that people sort of react opposite sort of of what they want. And that you'll find people that are disempowered in life often, you know, are the ones that want to uh, participate in these sort of rape fantasies and things like that, where they have power over their sexual partner. And I I often have wondered whether it's this kind of, uh, you know, this opposite game that I can't quite put my finger on. Well, there is some pathology behind it, for sure. I do believe some of it is power. I believe some of it is just, you know, people getting their yayas out. But make no mistake about it, some of these people are borderline, in my opinion, like serial killers. I mean, there is some really sinister uh, people in that circuit, I guess you'd say. And uh, I cover it all. I cover everything from Exotica in Miami Beach, Fetish Con in Tampa, to the world's biggest swinger conventions. Uh, and what motivates you, Victor, to cover this stuff? I mean, what, what got you interested in it? Well, actually... Um, fact that I do stand-up comedy, I kept getting kicked out of all the comedy clubs, but I'm pretty hardcore. I'm kind of like Doug Stanhope. I'm along that level meets Tommy Jong, 
and the taboo nature. I'm not really cussing or anything, mm-hmm. but I talk about, you know, like hanging Aunt B by her, let's say, saggy baggy, Mayberry SMBD. I have no idea what these words are that you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you ever see the Andy Griffith show? Basically, I stick what? my fingers to society's psychic eyes, and I, I cover a lot of shadow. Like, I'm like the Marilyn Manson of comedy, and I keep getting kicked out of so-called straight comedy clubs because I just can't handle these jerks with, like, mother-in-law jokes. I just go off the rails. I'm like a cage monster that's unleashed. So I started doing biker clubs, heavy metal clubs, strip bars, totally nude, and they love me. And it gave me our trip. You're nude or they're nude? <laughs> well, both, actually. I can tell you. It's the largest nudist colony on the Western Hemisphere. I opened up for Mike Stanley. And, you know, everybody there... Half of them were naked. So when you said you. the largest nudist colony, I'm picturing is there a lot of people or the people are really <laughs> the largest big? Nudist, <laughs> <new people. laughs> I had to say this all these rich, it's exclusive. I mean, super rich around the world. I'm in the middle of my act. I said, ma'am, your uh, saggy baggies are in a potato salad. what to think about that it was great though. yeah wow very interesting <laughs> you know people will often talk about the sex lives of those that are in in power and it being deviant and that kind of thing and you know it makes you wonder it, I, I, I can't imagine traveling anywhere for some kind of deviant sex party but i know people do it i've heard about mm-hmm. these furries conventions so i know people do it yeah and that's what they're into so Okay. I don't I don't even know if I would put furries on the same level as people who want to like I don't know pretend they're getting murdered or something, you know, I, that I, I I don't I don't know what the levels are, but to me if you're willing no, to travel No, I don't know either. And it's it's not important cuz I'm not I'm not there to judge them, other people, you know, but but it, it, I th- I do think it's true that um you know, when people repress things about their sexuality, they do tend to come out in these unusual ways, right? And it's too bad that people don't feel like they can free their minds of the, you know, of the constraints that that are placed on them by what religion or their families or well, whatever. Some extent, society represses them, and I want people to be somewhat repressed. Please don't just put it out of my face. I don't need you running around. <laughs> well, that's in a the thing. I don't think I don't think they would want to do that unless they had some. They were acting something Somebody out. Would. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's that one percent of one percent, right? <laughs> Even less than that. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we talk about investing in gold and silver as a hedge against inflation, investment, and barter currency. We've teamed up with Midas Resources to offer you some great rates on some hand-picked gold and silver pieces. U.S. Eagles, British Sovereigns, 20 Francs, Lakota Nation Silver Rounds, Montana Silver Reserves, and Walking Liberty Halves. Call 877-857-9938 or go to gold.freetalklive.com. The shipping is the same for one as it is for 20, so try to get as many as you can all at once. Gold.freetalklive.com. (laughs) 
Free Talk Live, 855. That's a nice way to start off the show, Stephanie. I'm so unprofessional. Sorry. <laughs> it's, sometimes these... Lashes bu- with a wet noodle. Will that be appropriate punishment? <laughs> People would line up for that. Uh, 855-450-3733. These cough buttons here can be difficult to get your hands on. They're a little hard to push. 855-450-3733. I, you know, we might be able to squeeze you in in the, the final segment here of the – this is not only the Sunday edition, but it's a special Easter edition. Not that we're, you know, talking that much about Easter, but we you know, touched on it. And we've got uh, – what, what the last uh, segment here? Oh, before you do that, I want to talk about shop.freetalklive.com. Um, mm-hmm. It's a way to help Free Talk Live by doing the purchases that you normally do. It's a – Amazon and other online retailers like that by going to shop.freetalklive.com first, clicking through the links we have there. You'll get the same great prices, the same great service that you're used to. Free Talk Live will get a little spiff. It's shop.freetalklive.com. Stephanie, you have a story here about what they're teaching in schools? The monkey bell. Yeah. Monkey bell? Yeah, this is interesting. Okay, so this particular summary of what's going on is from kind of a progressive website, commondreams.org, and it's a little bit... I mean, it's obviously written from kind of like a biased perspective, but... But it brings up an interesting issue that we can, you know, spin it our own way and talk about, right? So um, the headline is, Tennessee's monkey bill will protect anti-science teachers, and... uh, the article says Tennessee governor blah, 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 is likely to sign into law a bill requiring Tennessee's public schools to allow teachers to discuss purported weaknesses of theories such as evolution and global warming in their classrooms. Haslam has until Tuesday, that's the governor, to sign the bill, blah, blah, blah. Um, opponents, including science organizations, teacher groups in the ACLU, argue that the law injects religion into public education and raises the specter of the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925. When a high school science teacher in Tennessee was convicted of teaching evolution, the yes. conviction was later overturned on a technicality. The statute prohibiting the teaching of evolution remained on Tennessee's books until it was repealed in 1967. Mm. Americans United for Separation of Church and State and the ACLU have pressured the governor to reject the bill, which they believe is an unconstitutional and unwise gateway for the teaching of creationism and intelligent design in public schools. The bill is, quote, very clever in its wording, but its hidden agenda is to inject religious beliefs into scientific curriculum, said uh, Hedy Weinberg. You can see why people are fighting over this, because Mm. public education is such an important tool in getting people to believe what you want them to believe oh yeah what was the jesuit saying of give a me give me a boy until this is creepy give me a boy until he's five or seven and you can have him for the rest of his life mm. yeah it, it, it shows how you can shape how people think yeah i went to a, a christian school and they taught science there and they taught some version of evolution essentially what you know they came up with was evolution occurred uh, you can see evolution, however it is, uh, you know, God's behind it. That's that kind of thing. But, you know, they – I never saw some kind of, uh, you know – That doesn't they, make any sense. What? <laughs> evolution occurred, but God's behind it. Well, you know, it's, it's one's belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's – right. So I understand that what one thinks as far as natural selection, but there are f- uh, weaknesses, as they, they mention, in the, you know, sort of theory of evolution that are difficult to explain. And we don't have explanations right now. Now, like in a- what? 1870, yeah, something about Vli and uh, cilia and things like that. I'm not. I'm no, not- that's not true, actually. Um, so this came today, up- but at one point it was a weakness, right? So there are weaknesses now. And no, those no, weaknesses- that's that. 
okay, so the anti-evolution people say that flagella, which are the the structures that bacteria use to move around, they're spinning, they're Some like a little motor. Right. Okay. They say that they could not have evolved because there are too many component parts, and so they couldn't have evolved. It's piecemeal. interesting, right? Well, it is, and it sounds, you're like, yeah, how could that have evolved? But, well, there are analogous structures in other bacteria that look very, very similar to flagella, but are actually a pore that's used to inject toxins into other bacteria. So, yeah, they they do have sort of simpler versions that are maybe if, a step along the way evolutionarily. If people don't go around pointing out the weaknesses, then people don't come up with the explanations as to what the weaknesses were. Well, sure, that's true. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that it's just fine to point out the weaknesses of evolution in a uh, It is, as long class. as they're real weaknesses and not like things that have already been disproven. Like they might point out the but so-called weakness about the flagella and there, then not say the real explanation for it. There are 13 it. years of school and those you know, there's going to be science teachers all along and some of them are going to say some things and some of them are going to say others and to uh, you know, say that we shouldn't point out this or that or the other thing. It's, it's all fighting over the football. Well, yeah, in government schools, and the sure. football is the uh, the hearts and minds of students, <laughs> and the the you know the, the the. I'm just glad that students have the internet and they can feel welcome to check out any claims that they, they hear. They should at be school. holding these teachers responsible and pointing these things out. Whether yeah. you know, they don't have a monopoly on their education anymore, you know, you can educate yourself with the internet for free anytime. Absolutely, and I think that the, I, you know I, I think it's important. I think that. The problem with uh, public education is exactly this, is that people are going to, you know, they're going to vilify, they're going to try to get in, um, to be in charge, and they're going to say the other people are bad, wrong, stupid, and, and immoral, and, you know, they're going to get on their high horse and say whatever. And no one would, and people wouldn't care. People aren't saying what they're doing, what kind of education is being done poorly, what kind of science education is being done poorly in pu- private schools, because their money isn't forced out of their pocket to pay for it Mm, mm -hmm. and you know i think it's i think it's very difficult i mean i love reading national geographic but there were times in my life when i didn't believe everything that was in it i don't know that i believe everything that's in it now and i you know you can look at old issues and see that they were wrong at some point and we're going to be wrong now in the future so whatever yeah in my experience i've learned that it's never really a great idea to just take any one source at face value. Like it's great to just learn about all the information that you reasonably can sure. and then try to make come to your own conclusions, you get know, whatever information based on critical thinking. But that's the one thing they don't teach at schools. You see yeah. the government schools. Critical, they, critical thinking is not valuable in a citizen. No, absolutely not. And it's actively like denied. I mean, I think it's like kids are really taught to accept a lot of irrationality and they are not taught logic. They're not taught. Where does one get the critical thinking class? No, it doesn't exist. I, I wish I did. I wish I knew where this critical thinking class was. I'd make sure that I took it. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to th- I don't want to think more critically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, you know. the critical thinking class is called, uh, you know, unschooling yourself on the Internet, you know, <laughs> Learn, learning uh, about everything. Yeah. And what you mentioned is unschooling is that's essentially not unlearning things it's learning it's teaching yourself unschooling is yes. uh, is a is it's a, a free form style of learning because you're intrinsically motivated because you want to know about things and you want to learning. want to learn rather than you are forced from outside to learn about some specific thing that the government says you should know and sometimes uh, you know People that want to learn about things can take classes mm-hmm. on how to learn about things, and that's still student-directed. But I think that, you know, I mean, this, this what we decide people are going to learn in this particular area and that particular area, I don't know. I mean, it... Well, it, it's a concept that we've explored a lot tonight in different things. Like, we were talking about um, Afghanistan, Mark, and how to, 
you know, how to introduce the ideas of like equality, gender equality and stuff like that. And those ideas can't come by force, just like you can't make kids want to learn about something. You know what I mean? Like we think we can force kids to learn math because it's good for them and science because it's good for them and reading and history, whatever. When not every kid is interested in learning history or math or science or whatever. And so but it's there's no effort that's made to persuade them that these are interesting and important and you can use them in your life. It's just learn this or else you're going to get an F. You're going to get a bad grade. You know, we're going to punish you if you don't learn it. And we're going to give you a gold star if you do. It's not like you're learning it and and learning is the gift. You know what I mean? Right. The learning is really the gift. It is. Yeah. And when, uh, you know, my, my son has basically taught himself to read. We got a little course for him that helped him uh, learn how to use the CSA method on his own. Mm-hmm. But he can he can read words. I mean, as a four year old, I, I could yeah, read great. till I was six and he can read more now than I could when I was six. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible to watch him do his thing. I could read when I was two and a half and I had vaccines. So there you go. You know somehow or another that worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, my son could read at 18 months and he didn't have vaccines. So there it, you go. Not that it means anything. It's end of it one. It means nothing. It's yeah, right. Correlation exactly. I was causation. just being snarky there. But um, he, you know, he wants to learn to read. He's very motivated by his books. And the one thing I said to myself is, you know, when he wants to read, I'm not going to say I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. the one, you know, he can get my attention and my wife's attention by saying, you know, I want to read this book. Yeah. And we buy him books on whatever he pretty much on whatever he wants to read. He's really into cars, too, and superheroes right now. You think I care what he's reading about if he can read it for? I don't. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, he's interested in these things. And we've talked. I've used these opportunities to talk about, you know, he's, he was, he's into the solar system, um, planets and Saturn and things like that. So we've gone online and we've looked at these things. We've talked about them. And I assume that I, I just teach him as I would be talking to a, an adult as best I can. I assume yeah. that that most of the stuff is passing him by, but he's picking up things. Well, I think kids appreciate that and being he, talked to on a level. He he gets a, more stuff than I could ever uh, would have guessed that he would have gotten. So mm. it's, it's incredible to me. Yep. 855-450. Oh, we're done, actually. Yeah, why am I giving the number? <laughs> okay, you can go check it out, freetalklive.com. In the meantime, we will be back uh, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Free Talk Live. All right, it's another edition of the Edgington Post Show, and as y'all know, I I do this show for me, and uh, you know, as, as a result, you get to hear it. But I've picked one of my favorite podcasters to listen to, and it's Dan Carlin. Dan, you there? I am. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Uh, certainly. Now, Dan, you you are you know a, a prolific podcaster. You have your own uh, sort of political talk show that you've advertised on Free Talk Live in the past, and um, you know that. I don't know. When, why don't you describe your, your political views for people that may not have ever heard it? <laughs> well, depending on who you survey, they'd probably say Martian and inconsistently Martian. <laughs> I can't even manage to be consistently Martian. Now, listen, um, I think I'm like most people. We all have uh, a wide variety of views. Uh, some people line up with ideologies that put them kind of close to certain other groups in thinking, and yep. I don't fit into any of those groups very well. And, you know, I mean, so people could check it out if they they want to check out Dan Carlin. But the reason that I wanted to get you on was to talk about your other podcast, because I find it very compelling. Uh, frankly, it's been a long time since I listened to the Dan Carlin podcast. Uh, somehow, as a, as a commentator, I just don't get my jollies from listening to commentators. <laughs> but I do get my jollies from listening to, you know, historical stuff and 
and books where I feel like I can learn something. And hardcore history for me really is that. Um, but what do you? What's the elevator speech on hardcore history that you give? Because I'm certain I have my own. <laughs> well, um, my mother-in-law came up with the idea. Strange as that sounds, I used to have these kind of conversations at dinner where I'd bring up these weird Twilight Zone elements of of the past that just fascinated me, and I think they just got tired of me t- talking about it at dinner. And we were already doing the political podcast, and she said, "Well, why don't you do a podcast?" where you talk about this kind of stuff. And I said, oh, there's no market for this kind of stuff, which, which shows you what I know, you know, about the demographics. Um, <laughs> is, is, one bigger, is one much, much bigger than the other? Yeah, hard, well, hardcore history, it baffles me to this day. I mean, people really, really like hard. And, you know, we're blessed, but I, I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's about five times the audience that the wow. current events. And the political podcast has been going on longer, mm. so... And interesting. I, I love I mean, I've, I've got to say I love hardcore history, <laughs> but, um, it, you know, I, I think it's evolved over time, too. It um, I was just I downloaded some of the older shows that I had listened to in the past. And I guess it's been five years or something like that. You've been doing them and maybe four. That doesn't mean we have that many episodes out. <laughs> hardcore history, it, it it does take a while for them to come out. There's a brand new one out called uh, Logical Insanity, and uh, apparently are examining the issue of the morality of dropping the atomic bomb in the Second World War, the two atomic bombs. Um, and I haven't yet listened to it, and I'm sure I disagree with your opinions on it, but I bet it's going to be good and compelling. And Well, you know, I don't like to take the same angles everyone else does, because... I, you know, when you talk about history, I'm always looking for context. So if you wanted yeah. to sum up the Logical Insanity show, I think it's almost like a Reader's Digest abbreviated history of strategic bombing, mm-hmm. starting with, like, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne's scientific uh, theories, you know, sci-fi theories, uh, all the way to, like, Hiroshima. And they're all kind of connected, so I've never liked just taking out the A-bomb piece of the discussion. So that's kind of what the show's about. Got it. And, you know, I felt that that was, um, oh, shoot, what was the, the, you had a show that was in the early, um, early ones on sort of uh, communism, the right of, rise of communism and its, uh, uh, its effects. Uh, it was, um, was it Shield Probably or the West? Like meandering Through the Cold Meander- War or something? Yeah, meander th- Meandering Through the Cold War. That's what it was. And I really f- walked away from that one feeling like I had a whole new perspective on you know, sort of recent history, because, you know, like people who know history feel like they can oftentimes encapsulate it. You know, this happened because that happened, because that happened, because that happened. And communism is this big, weird knuckleball that just whips and turns through uh, the 20th century. We're still too close to it, too. That's about as late a history. I mean, I just finished the one that we mentioned a second ago, and it gets up to 1945, and that's almost too close. You yeah. need to be able to get far enough away. And the whole communism thing, I think our grandchildren might have a better handle on some of that, although probably deeper questions that we could easily answer at the same time. They're not going to understand it any better than we do. But I think once we get away from, you know, we still have a lot of people who were living in mortal fear of that. Sure. It, it doesn't really lend itself to any sort of dispassionate analysis. You've got to get 50, 60, 70 years away from that stuff. Um, but I agree with you. I think the whole communism thing, you know, Hitler thought it was all, um, what was it that Hitler said? That, 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 that when the final battle between the Nazis and the Russians happened, it was going to be to finish.
finish off the, you know, which side was right in the French Revolution. So it's funny how it's all tied to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and they made all the same mistakes. Uh, you, you pointed this out in Ghosts of the Ost Front, which is this isn't so much as a podcast as like a is a is an audio book. Um, and, you know, by the way, here's my recommendation to everybody. If you listen to one hardcore history, listen to Ghosts of the Ost Front. But um, this is what you mentioned in Ghosts of the Ost Front. Hitler made all the same mistakes Napoleon did. You know, somehow or another, everybody gets trapped up in you know the the uh, up in Moscow in the winter, and nobody can live in Moscow except Moscow Moscovites or whatever they're called. You know, Mark, the, the the subtle. You know, we always try to have what I call sub themes in those shows, and the sub theme there, uh, you picked right up on it, which is even now you will hear somebody say, "Oh, we got struck on nine eleven, so we have to invade Afghanistan," and other people will go, "Well, don't invade Afghanistan. Don't you know what the history is there? You don't want sure. to look at the history." And they'll say, "Well, that history doesn't matter because of this weapon or this new thing or or our modern this or our modern." So, in other words. Hitler was doing the same thing. They were, you know, look at Napoleon. Oh, Napoleon didn't have the Wehrmacht. Well, you know, there you go. And sometimes, just to screw us all up, that turns out to be right. You know, the technology makes all the difference in the world. But most of the time, it's a great excuse for ignoring history. Um, you know, Afghanistan, not conquered since ancient Persian times. Who cares? We, we have smart bombs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, conquering... Afghanistan is one thing. It's keeping Afghanistan. It's ruling Afghanistan, which is the uh, the difficult part that uh, you know in the last hundred years hasn't been able to be done. And you know, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't claim to be able to go further than that. But uh, you know, uh, Britain couldn't do it. Russia couldn't do it. Or Soviet Union couldn't do it. And the United States hasn't been able to do it. Um, you know, the analogy we used in one of the history shows that I like is imagine giving the Apache Indians from the late 1800s, modern weapons oh, like yeah. the Afghans have. Give them the, give them the rocket-propelled anti-aircraft stuff. I mean, give it to them and then unleash them back in those Dragoon, Shirakawa Mountains and Sonora and places, which is, if it's not Afghanistan, it's as close as this continent gets. And then see how well we do. Give them some infrared stuff. I mean, <laughs> machine guns. Well, you know, if you would have given Tecumseh uh, walkie-talkies, I mean, they would have won. If if they could have, if the Indians could have communicated on the scale that uh, they could communicate, say, fifty years ago, they would have been able to, uh, you know, co- coalesce and fight off the white man because that was the last time that there was sort of this chance. Uh, and there's another. Oh, we just did a we just did a common sense show where we said, what if the Nazis had the internet? Yeah. I mean, you know, those are those. You start thinking about the communications technologies and how disruptive and changeable that can be. It's it's incredible, and you know, I mean, I it's every two minutes that hardcore history provides you with a new nugget to chew on. Um, I listen to them in you know maybe ten or fifteen minute uh, you know bits and. I go to sleep thinking about this stuff. I mean, that's how compelling I find it. And I, you know, I'm like I said, I, I recommend anybody start with Ghosts of the Ost Front. What, what was your favorite? Oh man, you know, I to be honest, the real danger for me is it's like trying to remember what you had for dinner the night yeah, before. Yeah. I have to be so careful that I don't run over the same themes we've already talked about without realizing, oh yeah, back in show fifteen, that's what we did. Yep. Or, or something. So it's hard for me to even remember. And I don't generally go back and once they're all tied up in yep. a bow, I tend to not go back and listen. Um, 
people get really emotional about some of them. The fun part about Ghost of the Osprey that you just mentioned was how often I would hear from somebody whose family was somehow connected to that story on one side or the other. My my dad went to the off front and never returned, or um, one woman said that her mother, an 80-something-year-old German woman, would never, ever talk about the war, and she put the podcast episode on when they were going on a long drive, and she listened to it, and it got to the end of the drive. She said, I turned off the car motor, and all of a sudden, my mom couldn't stop talking about her experiences. She'd never talked about it the, the woman's whole life. And, wow. And so when you say, what's your favorite? Well, God, it's kind of nice when you think, oh, wow, that, that show really meant something to somebody. So in that sense, uh, uh, maybe, maybe Ghost of the Ostrich stands out a little bit more. It's part of the fun when you do a recent history show, but the downside is people get mad at you like, like they are about this last show I did a little bit because... Well, it's a little too recent, and the, the Band-Aid hasn't been off very long, right. and the scars are still new, you know. Well, you know, I, I've got to say that I'm still mad about the burning of the library at Alexandria, too. So, I mean, people are going to get activated. You're not the, but, Mark, you're not the only one. Right. I bet if there was a Facebook group for that, there'd be tens of thousands of people on it. I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'll bet you there is a Facebook page for it, and there probably are 10,000 people on it. That's right. We're going to get some angry emails for talking them down. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's all kinds of things in history but you know i so some of the things that compel me uh, about this is the ghost of the os front um when i remember you were talking about this field of bones because the russian and uh german conflict was the largest conflict history has ever seen if you take it out of the context of world war ii so world war ii is the largest conflict but inside of because it's because of the conflict between germany and russia it's a titanic struggle. It's something on a scope that's so hard, especially for Westerners. So many of us were raised on the idea that the, the West won the war and this, that, and the other thing. And yeah. you just have to look at the casualty figures to go, oh, my Lord. I mean, look who sucked up so many of those. I mean, it, it's a tra- you know what it is? It's a, it's a really tragic story. Um, and at the same time, it explains so much. You talked about the Cold War a little bit. One of the critiques we always had when I was growing up about the Soviet Union was how xenophobic they were. You know, they feared foreigners, and they had this almost pathological uh, suspicion. But when you look at their history, they get Napoleon, and and then 100 years later they get the First World War, and that doesn't go too well for them. And then a generation later they get the Second World War, and it's unbelievably nasty. You'd be xenophobic, too. Well, the ruling ruling classes over there weren't Russian either. Uh, They were, you know, weren't they some kind of European descent or something that somehow ascended to the the throne? Well, the Russians are European. The Russians are like um, the United States in one sense, in that they've got a lot of different people. But the core... Mm -hmm. Of Western, you know, Bella White Russia has always been European, or at least, you know, in certain, like Peter the Great orients them towards Europe, things like that. Um, I, I mean, I think I think when you when you talk about the the Russians and 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 whether or not their ruling class, the Romanovs and those people are are the same as the British who are intermarried with the Germans. Uh, you know, the British changed their name in the First World War from, was it, I think it was a Saxa Gotha Coburg or something, to Windsor <laughs> because of the, because of the, the, the uh, attitude at the time. Well, the Romanovs were, I mean, what was it, Nicholas was like, they were all Queen Victoria's grandkids or children, right. and they all would write these letters in the First World War, you know, when the German Kaiser is writing to the Russian Tsar, it's like, Dear Nikki, 
<laughs> like right. They all played together as kids on the little royal yacht. But they're but they're fighting each other later. <laughs> it's very strange stuff. Well, and the, and, the, and the letters are almost like personal. You know, it, it, it's very different than what you think of. And you know, Saddam Hussein was not writing a dear Georgie letter to George Bush during the Gulf War. Indeed, they they weren't. Uh, you know, I mean, each one of these things. I, I, I just listened to Thor's Angels, which is your not your newest, but your second to newest, and it's sort of the transformation of uh, you know the Prince of. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into Jesus Christ, the the warrior monk. Um, you know, from from the time of early Christ, primitive Christianity to say, uh, you know, late late uh, first millennium. Uh, you know, this the, the Crusades and that kind of thing. You know, the way I always looked at that story, I always find it interesting to hear other people's takes because I think they're just as correct. But then I measure them against what I was trying to do and go, okay, that's that's interesting. I, I thought I was taking a look at how when you melded Christianity, you know, all religions or most, let's just say most so I don't get in trouble, but most religions tend to um, um, be influenced by the culture that they're in and also in a sort of a bounce-back method tend to influence the culture. When you look at Christianity, for example, in Central and South America, you can see how it adopts forms that are comfortable to those regions and those cultures. When the Germans sort of inherited most of the Western Roman Empire and then converted to Christianity, they got their chance to, inf- to have their culture and Christianity have that sort of relationship, and it changed the Germans to be Christian, and it changed Christianity to have a bunch of people who came from a very warrior culture all of a sudden trying to somehow synthesize that with the ideas of the Prince of Peace. Yeah. So I like the dichotomy. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and each one of these uh, they they've gotten longer over time, and and I know. think they're going to go forever. I'm going to do one that's just never ending. <laughs> the way it's going now. <laughs> now, I guess uh, this is one question I had written down, so I feel I actually have to ask it. Is it, I, I have heard this asked many times. This is going to be a long question, Dan. <laughs> All right. I've heard this asked many times, and. I've never found the very satisfactory answer for it. It's what good is history? I had my mechanic was listening to, and it might have been hardcore history. It might have been one of my audio books I was listening to. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm always listening to something like this. And he's a smart guy. And he's like, yeah, well, what's it do for you? And I'm like, well, it beats listening to Crazy Train one more freaking time. <laughs> this is, you've actually stumbled upon. A, a, a question that is asked within academic his, historical circles, of which I am not a part, let me just emphasize, but I read, I read what comes out of them sometimes. There was a book Victor Davis Hanson wrote yeah. uh, 15 years ago now or something called Who Killed Homer? And it was about this idea that, that the people, especially who study earlier history, more, uh, more than the newer stuff, that they're essentially just walking in circles debating stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, what's the point? And then, then his point was, well, listen, if you keep saying that long enough, you as a classicist are going to talk your way out of a job. I mean, if you, if you keep saying that there's no point to studying history because you can't learn from it, that's supposed to be the utilitarian value. Yeah. And it's what historians have assumed their work was for from the very beginnings of Greek historical writing up until about 70 or so, 50 years ago. It changed slowly. Now modern historians are, are, are so wary of trying to use that term, learn from history, because people will do it the wrong way. They'll say something like, well, look at how you know, the negotiations with Hitler before World War II taught us that you can't appease the dictator. Like yeah. there's some 
A plus B equals C, and that then history proves it. Right. But and, history, there's yeah, there's so much history you can. It's like the Bible, though. You can find anything you want to back up what you want to do. It's like the fall of so Rome. Everybody blames everything right. for the fall of Rome, whether it's gay people or alcoholism. There's like a hundred thousand theories on that. But here's what the comeback is to the people who say that. The comeback is you're not supposed to learn specific lessons. You're supposed to see how human nature reacts in certain given situations, because that's the unchanging part of the story. The specifics in an ancient Rome are so different than the specifics now that the scenarios are never going to... It's always going to be apples and oranges. You can't learn from that. But the people... Are, you know, the, the motivations, they want sex, they want food, they want the greedy, they want glory, whatever it is, that's all stuff we can totally relate to. And that's why Shakespeare's plays are still, you know, interesting to people now and all that other stuff. So if you say, what can I learn from history? You can learn a lot about people <laughs> from history. <laughs> now, so here's my response to it. And I've, you know, I had to come up with one after I was asked this question. I didn't have really a particularly good answer. My response is, and it's much more utilitarian and somewhat mercenary, is you control the conversation when you know history. If you can bring out these examples and, you know, mention facts, names, dates, places, um, and talk to people about how those things happen in history, you control the conversation in a way that uh, it makes you the expert. It's kind of like having known sort of uh, classical literature, classical Greek and Roman plays and things like that. Oh, you know, when Pericles did this or... You know, the, all those old uh, Greek names that I don't know all of them, Sisyphus and those kind of things, they used to use those as examples. And I think now history is much more that thing. Well, let me take your, your, your thought one step deeper, because I think you've got a point, but, but it goes deeper than that. It's more than being able to bring up the relevant fact or event in a conversation to win an argument point. The truth of the matter is, and this is especially too true with recent history, um, I had a teacher explain it to me once like this. He said, listen, you're born into the middle of an ongoing soap opera. Think of the guiding light or one life to live or whatever. And until you go back or live long enough to catch up, until you go back and start trying to realize, okay, who is this person? And why are they feuding with that person? And why is this person not like that person? The now doesn't make sense. You don't know. It's the same thing we're dealing with the atomic bomb in the latest hardcore history story. Until you get the background... Now doesn't make that much sense. Now, if you go back to Roman times, the background's a heck of a lot less relevant than if you go back to meandering through the Cold War like you talked about. You can see directly how that's the chapter that we lived before the current chapter, and the relevance is impossible to deny. So that's, that's the line I always like. We're born in the middle of a soap opera, and this is all part of bringing us up to speed on the story so that we understand now better. Very good. Uh, Dan, I'm going to have to let you go. we got to get to the, doing the show here. But thank you for coming on and talking about my favorite podcast with me. Um, and I, I recommend people go there. Take a look at all the you've – got a, you've got the last, I don't know, years or so worth of them for free here um, from Death Rows of the Republic, Old School Toughness, and uh, Globalization Unto Death. And there's a lot of nuggets in the the ones that have uh, slipped into the pay realm. For two bucks, you can get yourself some really great stuff. At uh, and and how does one? It's dancarlin.com. Yeah, I just go to the website. What a salesman you are, Mark. I could use you, pal. That was really nice. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Dan, I'm not being nice. I'm telling you about my favorite podcast. I mean, <laughs> I don't do nice. <laughs> this thing is great, and I recommend it to people. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Bye.